I'm going to call the meeting to order, and then I'll explain what I'm going to do. So, um, yeah. Um, so, let's Ready? do it. Yeah. All right. Trustee DeVries. I'm here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. <laughs> Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. Trustee Sheklin. Here. We do have a quorum. All right. Uh, so, I'm going to start public comment. And we have one public speaker. I do believe we're going to have another group coming to speak. And I'm going to recommend that if they get here while I'm still president, I'm going to go back to public comment. And if they get here after we have our board election, I'm going to suggest that the new president open up public comment so they don't have to wait all night long. So I've said it. I've done it. And let's go with public comment. I have uh, Dr. Savio. Why don't you come on up? It would be an amazing honor to give the last public comment during your tenure. <laughs> um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to update the Board of Trustees on the short but very intense time we have left on this momentum path in the next six months to create your new unified medical group, bringing together the providers in Oak Care and Alameda Health Partners. As president of Oak Care, that I've loved and served and have been president recently, but I've worked there for more than 20 years, about to be out of a job and pres as president in the next six months, and I take that with cautious optimism and gratitude. The bones of our new provider group are strong, as outlined in the final agreement that you all helped shepherd us to last June. I'm proud of the dedication and skill of the providers in HP and Oak Care and the camaraderie and teamwork that we've had and so look forward to being on one team, one uniform, one name, whatever that will be. Tired of using NUCO, but we're getting there. Um, although about five intense months lie ahead to kind of achieve what we need to do, we will work through all obstacles to get there. My optimism here lies in part in the effective working relationship with Kassan Jamaluddin, the interim president of AHP and my CMO. Our shared vision and teamwork, we're meeting weekly and really hammering through um, issues to build the infrastructure of the new medical group, working on the mechanics of moving all these providers in one group. There's a lot to do. It will be a feat. A feat's defined as an achievement requiring courage, skill, and strength, and Gassan exemplifies all those. I'm proud to work with you. My optimism is also grounded in the partnership between the Oak Care and AHP, the coordination with our CEO, Peter Hole, um, and AHP Director of Operations, Karen Black, who's here, um, as we're building the infrastructure of the new medical group. We're on a critical timeline and have identified a lot of needs and some impediments that we are working through and need to for this successful launch. Um, including foundational elements, including independent HR functions within the medical group. My gratitude is directed to all these people, but really to the Board of Trustees, and I really would love to recognize Trustees DeVries and Hernandez. A year ago, we were in a really hard place, and your calm, passionate leadership getting us to where we are today, I just have deep gratitude, as does all your medical staff, so thank you for that. Um, you led through some serious sausage making. Hope never to be back there, but as I commented to you, if we need you, we may reel you back in. I don't see that happening. I'm also grateful to CEO Mr. Finley for your trust in your Oak Care leadership and your HP leadership getting us to the finish line. And we're very close to the finish line. Um, in the words of 
trustee Phuket, it's probably actually the end of the beginning. Mm -hmm. We have a long path ahead. It's going to be audacious, tremendous amount of work to do, but I know we're going to do it. We're going to make you proud. Um, and it will be beautiful. And most importantly, for the patients of Alameda Health System, it's going to be beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and have you guys come up with a name yet? No. Nope. Nope. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to the name. All right. Uh, so I am temporarily closing public comment, but I think we may be reopening it. Uh, it's time for our staff reports, and it looks like we have Dr. Baden in for Dr. Ballard. Yes. Yeah? All right. Hi. Hello. Um, so we briefly discussed uh, credentialing and privileging um, and uh, new specialty privileges for addiction medicine, nephrology, and multi-facility privileges for gastroenterology. Um, and there'll be more to come in the future since we're revamping all our privileges in the Department of Medicine and many other departments, so stay tuned for more of that. It's just the beginning. Um, there was a, a, a lot of discussion about the medical staff procedural sedation competency, the new system-wide policy on procedural sedation, including learning modules and tests for providers requesting or currently granted procedural sedation privileges. Um, we had no new contracts to review. Um, lots of updates on Sapphire, um, including the new Thrive initiative, which will allow providers to have a touch point with trainers again to sort of optimize their workflows. Um, and then I identified three issues for Dr. Bouquet, which he told me I should repeat today. Um, number, uh, number one was about relationships and the building of NUCO. This is on a lot of providers' minds, um, just trying to figure out how we're going to get through the next three months with everybody resigning from their current positions and taking new positions and, hmm. and that transition. So we're doing a lot of work around that right now, trying to, to ease, ease people into this new space. Um, uh, diversity is still in my top three, and I'm excited about the new task force that's been initiated and, and um, excited to see what work will happen from that. Um, and my third one was about systemization. I think we're still an integration. I think we're still um, on our journey with San Leandro um, and integrating the medical staff and trying to figure out our leadership structure um, and oversight, um, but working through that. Concludes my report. All right. Any questions? <clears throat> nope. Okay. Uh, we uh, head to San Leandro. Talk to Ingenio. Good evening. Good evening. Um, we had a physician leadership committee at the beginning of the month and discussed a number of issues, some of which are similar to what Dr. Baden touched upon. Um, but our uh, main concerns were um, specialty coverage. We've had some loss of uh, ENT coverage in the emergency department, uh, only one local physicians there, and so that's being worked on, I think, by Dr. Jamaluddin uh, with the help of the AHS physicians. There's still concerns about EPIC and um, optimization of EPIC. The, those changes are happening very slowly. I've, I've been heard some frustrations from some of the physicians locally about how long it takes to continue the improvements, um, but overall I think it's working reasonably well. Uh, the there was some uh, concern about having to have a joint commission site visit again since we did it last year before the merger, but now we have to do it again because we're merged and fun. Uh, so, um, but I think we'll be okay. Uh, engagement of physicians in the physician leadership committee—that's a concern that I've had. Um, 
and uh, one that I've voiced previously related to uh, the availability um, and their busy schedules to attend all the meetings, um, especially ones that, that happen here right during the day, which are, I predicted would be problematic and is. Um, and we're hoping to recruit um, more positions to be engaged there. And then um, had uh, some good reporting from the physicians uh, in the rehab division upstairs who um, I have invited to come to that committee um, routinely. Uh, since there is significant interaction with the, the internists and consultations, etc., and they're working through their, uh, and I, I don't think there's big problems, but they're working through their uh, workflow to, to get the appropriate consultations, decide when transfers are required and to which location based on what specialty services. Most of it's related to neurology. And so to answer um, Dr. Uh, Bouquet's top three issues, specialty coverage, which includes neurology, um, now ENT as well. Um, the EPIC optimization would be number two, and then engagement in the physician leadership committee is still a concern, ongoing concern that I have. And that concludes the summary from San Leandro. Question. Sure. How's the new um, fourth floor and That's my uh, question is, too. is the third floor um, beds also open? Yet? Yes, the, the third floor beds are open. They're really nice, um, and so <laughs> patients are, are uh, you know, we're seeing patients, our patients up there as well. So that we'd encourage improvement of the second floor <laughs> to, a to a similar to a similar quality, Mr. Fonseca. That would be wonderful. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what's involved in that though. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I think that all, all that helps and, and even though that I, I used to call it with Mr. Jackson fluff, that impacts these patient satisfaction scores. Because realistically what's the important stuff? that the, the patient's getting well cared for, the nurses are taking good care of the patients, and the doctors are taking good care of responsible. However, this other superficial stuff is relevant, and it, it impacts the score, so. Yeah, yeah. And is the fourth floor open as well? Yes, oh, of course, yeah. yeah the so rehab floor is open. Oh, I'm sorry, right. Fourth, fourth floor and rehab. Right, right, third sorry. floor, third, it's half the third floor, but half right, of the, the inpatient med right, surge beds right. came online when that opened up, right. and they're all revamped and new. So are we seeing better throughput with the emergency and, and with with all of that? I don't think that's been a, a huge issue the, to get the patients up to mm -hmm. the the inpatient beds. Talking to Dr. Asali, the director there, I, it's been more um, in the past, and I, and this is from a month ago. It still was uh, three weeks ago. It still was somewhat of an issue with the psych holds that tie up some of the ED beds. At times a number of them, although that's improving. Um, because that you know the there are limited beds there. I think there are 13 in the ED there, and sometimes five or six can be um, yeah. not commonly, but it can happen. And you can see that would really affect the throughput sometimes in the emergency department. Yeah. Trustees, any other questions for San Leandro? Nope. Okay, Dr. Marzuk, how are things on the island? Okay. Uh, 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 our report uh, essentially credentials and privileges uh, were. Can you uh, get a little closer to the mic? Thank you. Credentials and privileged uh, various individuals, and particularly <coughs> new anesthesiologists as a new group. Uh, the uh, the pilot group has 
has uh, provided energy uh, services to uh, Alameda currently uh, and will continue to provide. So various anesthesiologists were given initial appointments uh, as well as uh, we uh, approved the competency for sedation privileges as well as uh, GI privileges for individuals. In terms of issues, uh, uh, again, there was uh, a couple of issues that uh, arose. Uh, uh, one was our C-arm, uh, which is uh, a radiological uh, technique that's usually used in the emergency in the operating room to provide better visualization of, of uh, I can't really speak for the technique of, of how it's done, I'm sure others can, but uh, uh, we were deficient in uh, providing it the appropriate technicians that are certified uh, to operate in C-arm uh, in the operating room, particularly after hours or doing emergency settings. Mm. Uh, that is something that's uh, being addressed uh, so we can have the technicians uh, available uh, after hours. Uh, during the last couple months, it was about 20% of the time uh, they were not available because some cases run mm. overtime and, uh, and the coverage is, is what's uh, being uh, uh, to have those Certified. That was a, an immediate concern. Uh, uh, some, some frustrations uh, about certain aspects of the hardware and the software of Epic. I mean, the hardware with our computers, some some of them needing reboots, not functioning, and as well as uh, the software uh, of of Epic and uh, discharging. Some uh, a little frustration as the immediacy of, of, of being able to get help. Uh, again, particularly when you're talking about discharging a patient and, and you can't wait you know, 45 minutes, an hour for that. Uh, and uh, specialty coverage is uh, uh, another uh, concern which is being addressed with GI coverage, which is uh, going to start in April, which we will have uh, uh, GI, I mean, uh, I'll be the hospital dedicated GI uh, person, uh, to my understanding. Uh, neurology is still on the, uh, uh, neurology coverage uh, is uh, becoming more uh, acute in a long-term facility, which is being, I think, addressed in, in trying to obtain a neurology coverage uh, system-wide. And those are uh, the main issues. Right. All right. Trustees, any questions? Nope. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Um, so we are on to um, the president's report. So uh, I report that it's time to have our election. <laughs> it's like uh, it's it's been a nice holiday season, and um, I really don't think there's much else to talk about. Uh, but um, it's been a nice two years. Uh, serving as, as chair of the committee, I'm sorry, chair of the board. Um, I think we've we've um, we've had some pretty big things we've worked on. I was kind of reflecting back last night. Um, the first thing we did when I became board president was vote to spend 200 million dollars on Epic. 
um, and um, that was quite a gem, a sapphire that we've created. Um, and and now um, we're there. Yeah, we're there. And on my 50th birthday, you went live. That's right. Uh, yeah, and and so that's kind of cool. Um, we have um, we launched a successful integration of our doctors here, um, which is exciting and just wonderful news to hear that it's you know, hard work but good work that's taking place. Um, we've successfully completed the construction of the rehab facility at San Leandro, which I think really locks in San Leandro, uh, you know, and its sustainability, uh, and also frees up space up on Fairmont um, that could potentially be used uh, to, to better serve the community, especially our homeless population. Um, We've successfully uh, locked in the, the construction and the seismic uh, 2020 requirements for Alameda Hospital. Um, we've uh, created uh, an ad hoc committee that's working closely to uh, see that the, 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 our, our system looks really closely at the future of Alameda. Um, those are the big ones. Um, had some great new leadership, uh, you know, come come on board. I think our, our CEO has brought on some fantastic new members of the team. Um, I don't know what else. Have I, I missed anything? This campus is done. Huh? This campus oh, is this done. Is done. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. Um, so, anyway, it's been fun. It's been it's been it's been really fun um, being being the board president. Um, but uh, it is time to pass the baton. I, I really do think that uh, after a couple of years, um, it should uh, it should go into somebody else's hands, and, and um, I will be an active past president. Um, I really hope to work uh, to continue to strengthen our relationship with the Board of Supervisors. Um, something I said when I was first appointed to the board and, uh, back in 2014, many of the board members did not like, none of you, but past members. Um, I said, well, we are a county hospital. And uh, I said, who's your daddy? And they didn't like that uh, because they thought that they were their own system. And yes, we are a system, but we are, in fact, the public safety net system for the county and this county has really shown a commitment um, the voters have shown a commitment and and I just think it's important that we work in, in in real constant coordination with our county partners and so I really am committed to remaining uh, strong on that on that part of our, our work but I also think we need to remind our state of the need for, for the safety net to be strengthened um, we can't just talk about things like single payer at the state level, we have to talk about the really heavy lift, the fact that we're not being reimbursed for our costs uh, through Medi-Cal. Uh, we can't rely on the federal government and our state needs to really up the ante. And I, I really wanna work with our state delegation and to continue to strengthen that and bring forward proposals that can both enhance the safety net and also uh, address the fact that safety net hospitals need help with our seismic requirements that are coming at us in 2030. Um, we will fail um, at meeting those requirements if we don't get the assistance we need. And while the private uh, sector um, can, um, can uh, work with the private insurance market to do more, uh, we can't. And so I think we have to really push the state and, and I'm, I'm committed to doing that. So uh, with that said, um, for board president and vice president and, uh, and secretary, um, we had a few nominations and we had some declines. Um, we actually only had one nominee for board president uh, who um, accepted the nomination, and that's uh, Dr. Abuleta. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, we had one nominee who accepted the vice <coughs> president position, and that is uh, Trustee Peterson. And we had one uh, trustee who accepted the position of secretary, and that is Maria Hernandez, who's going to continue to see some consistency for us. Um, yeah, uh, uh, the, the veteran uh, officer. So. Uh, Mike, I don't know if I have to take votes separately. Uh, you tell me because you're our attorney and you keep us out of hot water. Yes, you should take Okay, so I will open the nomination for the <coughs> position of president. Are there any other nominees people wish to make from the floor? No? Okay, so uh, seeing that Dr. Noha, uh, sorry, Abueleta is the uh, nominee, um, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Congratulations. I will step out of this chair now. <laughs> Does that make me the CEO? <laughs> um, would you like to sit up here? That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's appropriate. I'll take my placard with me. This is a ritual part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. You need to put on cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with the name thing yeah. sticking out. Yeah. And the stapler. And the stapler. You got the That's right. That's right. This <laughs> is the ceremonial changing of the guard. Right. Congratulations. All right. And, and by the way, two years ago they did this to me. No speech. The only part of my speech is that in two years I'm going to remember what Mr. DeVries said, that we have to change the guard every two years. <laughs> so for Vice President, Trustee Peterson, are there any other nominations? Great. Then let's take a vote. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any nays or abstentions? Great, Trustee Peterson is the new vice president. <laughs> I saw your attempt at to do a nay. <laughs> yes, so was I. <laughs> and no, no, I'll stay here. That's okay. You sure did? Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> And for the position of secretary, Trustee Hernandez, do we have any other nominations anyone wants to bring? Great. Then let's take a vote. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed or abstain? Great. Trustee Hernandez, our new secretary. All right. Moving on to item B2, discussion of 2020 committee membership and chairs. I'm going to help you with this Thank a little you. bit. Yeah. Um, so we had, I had a debate with uh, our CEO last week about the fact that I can't assign membership to these committees because I won't be president anymore. You are. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you that, so you couldn't think about it. Um, but I, I just, um, I think you guys should have a conversation about um, what committees people are on, what committees they wish to stay on. Um, I don't think you have to finalize it right now, but you may want to have that conversation. And um, I think um, I'll open it up and you can ask people what they want to do. I know I personally would like to stay on finance. Um, and uh, I think with HR, I would, I'm willing to stay on it, but it seems like we're having some challenges with HR with our, with our meeting times. Um, so we might want to rethink the HR calendar, but we don't have to do that at the meeting. You, can, you have the authority to do that on your own. 
Okay, well, I guess any discussion? Are there folks that want to make any changes to the current committees or frequency of the meetings? As the chair, as the chair of the Q, Dave, you're, you're on. Come on. Yeah. As the chair of the chair of the QPSC, we had one resignation uh, this month, uh, Trustee Banerjee, uh, due to work. So we are down to three. So I'm three. soliciting. Three. Really? Uh, we we just have three members on the QPSC: mm -hmm. Trustee Jensen, Trustee Hernandez, and myself. Oh. That is that. Yeah. It's three out of eight, though. Continuous surprise. No, no, honestly, oh, no. I did. I was sad. I was sad to accept. Yeah. So, is this the part where I get to solicit people, Ms. Madam President? You can yes, do that. you can try. Mm -hmm. This is like, uh, like uh, kids, you get to pick on your team. I would like to take the chair of the finance committee to join the quality committee. In return, I'll give him my committee membership if he if he would so was so desirous. So our board has talked about needing better integration between finance and quality. Yeah, my only request would be that uh, we not change the meeting time because I'm I'm traveling so far that it uh, I can make it work uh, before a board meeting. But uh -huh. if you decided to change it at some point, uh, I would have a lot of trouble. I think. So so my negotiation, I'd keep the time. Actually, it's it's at it's at the president's leisure, isn't it, or is it mine? We'll keep it. Then yes, wow, that's easy. Great, that's great. And, and, and I'd be uh, if if the chair uh, would. I would. I would. That would be wonderful. I would be happy. We do have a quorum challenge there. Does that affect that at all? I just want to clarify. I'm sorry, Agnes. Uh, Trustee Burkett joining the finance committee. Okay. Uh, would that be an issue? No. In terms of the numbers, we can make it work. Okay. And it would be great. To have what you. does it do to QPSC? That makes it four. So quorum is three, right? Five. Is well, and it's quorum. Oh, you mean for the for QPSC? Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. A brown earth violation would be five. five. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then, so, are you happy with the four that you have? Uh, I, I would, I, you know, uh, not, we just have our Madam President who stood in, but uh, the President shall preside at all meetings of the Board of Trustees per bylaws section 3A1. <laughs> so that gives me five members. <laughs> oh, well then I can step down. I don't want you to step down. There's no obstacle to having a meeting of five members on okay. there. There are some no. procedural things we'll have to do to deal with okay. it. But yeah. Nothing precludes you from having a committee which consists of a majority of the uh, board itself. I, I would love that for anyone else who would like to join. I think quality is important. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So the board chair is on all committees? Per, per the bylaws. That's a common bylaw. So, yeah. Right. So you've been on each other? Well, you have the prerogative, I think, to, go to, to be on every committee, um, whether the board chair goes or not. It says shall preside at all meetings of the Board of Trustees. Well, the, the, chair, the, chair, the chair of the board okay. is, is an ex officio member. Of so so yeah, that doesn't mean the subcommittee, it means no. just this meeting. Okay. Yes. I apologize. So ex officio non-voting member of all committees. Yeah. But you were actually, our former chairs have been voting members, so maybe we should start there. I'd be interested to know what our chair, what committees uh, the chair will continue or join now. I will continue the finance committee. Because of my schedule, um, I do you do we need 
folks on the HR because if it's Wednesday, then I can make it. But if it's any yeah. other day of the week, it would be. Are you okay with then? Would we have? You already have three. Four. Mm -hmm. Three at Joe's. Yeah, yeah. But that would be ideal. It's quarterly. Okay. So, so on the. Uh, Audit and uh, Compliance Committee, we've only got two members, so that means if one member doesn't show up, we're in trouble. It's good that we like each other. So we, we would really like a third member. We would. Yeah. I would have loved very to have. And it only, it only meets every quarter. You know. And is it right after finance? Uh, right before, that's what yeah. Try to do it before yeah. or after. Before or after. Yeah. If you do it after, I can show. Are, are you willing to do that? Well, I've never done audit, so. Um, I'm game. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's after right. finance. Yeah. Well, we've actually been doing it. Have we done it before or after? I'm trying to remember. I think well, it's been mainly before. But we yeah. can, if you do it after, I'm, yeah. I'm in. If you okay. do it before, okay. I'm out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can switch them. Can you make that yeah. work? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think the only reason we changed them is you have such darn long meanings. Yeah, I know. It's, my, it's a yeah. chair of problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One reason why I didn't join, I was wanting to join audit as well, but I thought it was before the finance committee meeting and that was going to be hard for me. So do you, I mean, I didn't want to push you off the HR. You, if that works for you, I can get to, because anything that's late in the evening is working for me, but not something that's at two or three right. in yeah. the afternoon. Right. So you're good with audit? audit? Mm -hmm. Okay, so then. I, but there's room for you, too. I was going to say, we could certainly, yeah. Yeah. You, you would just make it four. Yeah. And we'd have some gender balance, which, you know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> some fiscal restraint. Yes. <laughs> but if I'm on finance and audit, somebody. then I, I'll drop H. But HR could really use uh, kind of more support. Yeah. 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 Director Banerjee, it's uh, it's kind of up to you. I think that you're historically you've participated in the the finance right and as well as audit in the past. So um, and that's you've been very effective there. But HR definitely would be. Um, an area that is becoming, um, actually, I won't say we're becoming like QPSC, but we're actually looking at quality measures and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's, it might be of interest to you as well. Then I'll definitely be on HR. It's, um, I'm on a couple of other subcommittees, the you know equity, health equity, as well as the seismic, so seismic one. So I'm just trying to pace, pace, pace myself. So. Um, but not certainly, audit. how many are you talking about now? But three. HR. Okay. Four. No audit. Okay. Sorry. So no audit. No audit. And trustee DeVries, are you still going to come off of HR or are you going to stay? I'll, I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> so why don't I follow up with everyone who just volunteered themselves um, separately and then we'll finalize later. Yeah. And then we, we could, uh, we'll need to change our posted times too, which is fine. All right, great. Any other discussion on committee membership and chairs? Just for clarification, are we, uh, 
are all the trustee seats filled or is there one that's open no <coughs> we have a vacancy i thought so yeah okay. <coughs> and uh this the vacancy was uh by gary that left the board mm -hmm. and it's up to the board of supervisors to appoint that um that vacancy without really oh. going through our screening process per se um okay. <coughs> and i have communicated so with the um, president of the board of supervisors about the vacancy uh before the before the holiday and i haven't followed up with him since um but uh i know he's he's looking at some folks and that's really up to the board of supervisors and i'll continue to help with that for our for our new president thank you anything else committee membership okay great time for our ceo report mr binley oh i excuse me uh, through the chair i no. would like to add actually um with regard to the committees, although it's not in our bylaws, the seismic committee is meeting monthly. It mm -hmm. is meeting for an hour and a half at least, and um, two hours. Right, two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and um, directors Peterson and Banerjee and myself are participating. So that is technically it is a, a committee commitment, I would say. So for those of us who are on it, mm -hmm. it's taking as much time as. But not quite as much as QPSC. Okay, we good? All right, CEO report. All righty. Uh, good evening. Uh, congratulations. I so look forward to working with you uh, even more closely in this capacity. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, uh, take the point of personal privilege to say to uh, Trustee DeVries, it's been uh, wonderful working with you for the last uh, two years in your capacity as chair. And I, to look forward to your uh, very active uh, past uh, president's uh, um, turn and working and continuing to work with you as well. So thank you for your leadership and your personal uh, professional uh, guidance uh, to me as well. It's been it's been really uh, very much appreciated. So. Um, uh, Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, some of you have had the pleasure of seeing at other uh, meetings, including finance and HR, uh, but for those who haven't, uh, looking forward to an exciting uh, 2020 uh, and continuation of our fiscal year. Uh, I wish I could say that the holiday season was a little bit uh, quiet, but it was not. Uh, uh, there's so much going on inside of the organization, obviously on a uh, local level and state level and federal level that impacts the work that we do too. So uh, the work continues, the mission is enduring and uh, excited and really appreciative of the work that our um, physician leaders and our clinical and non-clinical staff actually uh, uh, continue to do in furtherance of our of our mission and our vision as an organization. Uh, per normal, I will um, uh, just reference the True Enough Metric dashboard. You have it, and I'm certainly uh, happy to answer or address any questions or concerns that you might have with any of the uh, uh, metrics and where they stand in the report as it uh, reflects on where we are. Uh, I want to spend a little bit on mission moments uh, to reflect just a few things that have happened since the last time we convened. I'll uh, give you a few federal and state updates, and then finally, um, while there's a lot of slides, as is sort of the normal format with our SAFAR update, just in recognition of the fact that we, that we have a pretty chalk agenda tonight, as well as the closed session, I want to uh, just try to um, uh, breeze through and just give you the highlights of what's going on as it relates to SAFAR. Uh, so again, true metrics, uh, same format. You can see uh, in a couple of areas we are. Um, 
experiencing uh, uh, progress, which I'm really happy about, particularly uh, in those areas of access and, more importantly, quality, I would say, uh, uh, good trajectory and great leadership in that space and patient experience, at least in the HCAP space, uh, really uh, um, uh, showing some uh, continuous improvement in those spaces. Sustainability, as you can see, uh, still uh, uh, quite challenged. Um, as we expected, we're turning the corner there, but haven't uh, uh, gotten over into the green in many of these areas, uh, but uh, continued focus there. Uh, we did produce our first forecast with our CFO this uh, this month, which we share with finance, and you may have a little bit about that later, but certainly happy to answer any questions about anything here that you may have. Okay. Uh, I'll keep going. Uh, so mission moment. So uh, you met at the end of November. Uh, some of you were at our sort of kickoff and ribbon cutting for the uh, acute rehab, and now it is officially open, as you heard uh, Dr. Ingenio uh, reference earlier in his report uh, on December 6th, I believe it was, or 8th. Uh, thank you, Richard. Uh, um, as you can see, Richard uh, reflect our, our, our um, uh, pictured here with one of our patients and other members of our staff, uh, including our medical uh, director, rehab medical director, uh, welcoming uh, patients during that day. Uh, it's, uh, was that Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. Uh, very active day. Unfortunately, um, I was with my daughter and couldn't come, but I was uh, on the wire just getting uh, kind of at least hour by hour update of what was going on. So remarkable effort and really excited about the fact that we have crossed this milestone for our organization. We are seismically compliant and we have a beautiful facility that matches is the quality of the care there, and uh, I'm really excited for the progress we'll continue to see in this space. Uh, this month, the month of January, is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, as you know, one of our big er uh, areas of uh, focus over the course of the year has been in uh, OBGYN and in women's services, and I'm happy to announce, uh, share that uh, our OBGYN leadership in partnership with our larger uh, Medicaid managed care plan, the Alliance, uh, partnered this month to really um, uh, have a, uh, a a targeted effort to get 10,000 uh, outreach to 10,000 women in our community to get them screened uh, or get their cervical cancer screening. So this collaboration uh, uh, um, involves uh, the alliance reaching out to their membership to work with our providers and uh, women's services to get screenings. They are actually offering a, a $25 safety gift certificate uh, uh, to address maybe some social determinants aspect of that, but also to further encourage people to get their screening. Uh, this is not just a broad-based uh, effort for our community, but uh, as our clinical leaders will uh, share with you and our quality leaders will share, uh, cervical cancer um, is uh, a um is a uh, clinical condition that has some areas of disparity uh, uh, associated with it. Uh, I think uh, from what I read from our announcement, uh, every year there are uh, a little over 4,000 women nationally who die of cervical cancer. Uh, cervical cancer diagnoses are um, um, uh, chronically later for women of African-American and Hispanic uh, um, uh, um, uh, ethnic backgrounds, um, uh, it's, it's discovered a little bit later in stage, and so there are the more complications associated with this population, and we obviously serve a big portion of that population and uh, want to address disparities in our community, so I'm proud of the work that we're doing in this space and uh, continuing to do. This also uh, addresses one of the targets we have in terms of increasing our number of outpatient visits uh, in women's health for the year as well, so uh, one of the big efforts we're focusing on this month. Uh, you, you, this was just yesterday, actually. Uh, 
one of the things that speaks to um, um, Trustee Hernandez and other members of the uh, HR committee know that we, we talked about our uh, uh, organization-wide experience, um, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, respect scores, which are patient, or I'm sorry, staff engagement surveys, and one of the things we're working, working on is communication and trust, and I really want to highlight that the ambulatory leadership has started this new uh, uh, initiative uh, just yesterday called the Downtime Speaker Series, uh, where once a month they will get together all of their leaders in a channel. I want to give you a sense of the room over at Hayward, which is like uh, standing room only of um, representative leaders across all of our ambulatory sites getting together and focus on quality improvement, access areas, some of the things you saw on the dashboard, but also spending the time to kind of be mission driven and to talk about wh why why we're here, what motivates us to do our work, and so they had uh, various leaders. I was on that panel, but taking a picture so you don't see me at the state uh, on the table there, but or at the table there. Uh, but those are leaders from and staff, uh, uh, clinical and non-clinical from uh, Hayward, from uh, Eastmont, as well as uh, Newark, and just giving the wonderful stories about why they came to the organization, uh, what sort of some of their memorable moments starting, what are they most excited about. One of the things I really wanted to point out was um it was like the model UN, actually. Uh, so we have one of our leaders uh, at Eastmont who is of uh, 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 Afghan background, I believe, if I remember that correctly. Um, our leader at uh, Hayward who is of a uh, African, I believe, Nigerian background. Uh, and then one of our uh, clinical um, uh, staff members over at Eastmont who is of a Cambodian background. And then you have the African-American guy. So I was the boring dude uh, in the group. Uh, but really kind of really excited uh, to have those similar stories about why people started working here and some have been here for a number of years. Uh, the uh, clinical leader at Hayward actually uh, is retiring next month, so 2020 uh, is a retirement day, but just a long career of service <coughs> motivated by backgrounds and upbringings um, that were really uh, um, uh, similarities around seeing disparities. Some of the stories were unique and different, but a lot of common things through them, and this is really getting at uh, getting to the why, really underscoring why we're all here, uh, what we intend to do, and uh, uh, the enduring, as I said, nature of our mission. So really, uh, kudos to the ambulatory leadership for setting up something like this, and uh, we'll look to mirror this in other parts of the organization as well. Um, as you know, MLK uh, uh, Day happens every year. We use it as a day of service, and for the last couple of years, we have spent that day volunteering with the food bank, and this year, uh, we represented 10%, so 19 of the 190 volunteers who volunteered to sort and uh, uh, package uh, or arrange for food deliveries uh, with our Alameda County Community Food Bank, and so this uh, happened just this past Monday, uh, and we're excited to be a part of that. Um, I thought I had a few others here, but anyway, a lot of stuff going on, and so uh, now I want to turn to kind of a regulatory and uh, uh, policy updates on the federal stage. Um, many of you will recall at the end of the year, we were struggling with um, uh, figuring out what was going to happen with our DISH funding and hoping that uh, by December 20th we would know uh, whether that funding was restored for the full year. Unfortunately, it was not, uh, but it was extended through May, so we have a little bit more time to convince the federal government uh, to continue to um, uh, uh, support these these funds for us over the course of the year. Um, there was, uh, yes, sir. What, what's that? What's that total? Uh, the impact twelve million. Uh, it's somewhere around fifteen million annualized for the organization. Okay, so we're so. good through May. So that's about half of it. No, uh, a little over half. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the federal fiscal year goes starts in October. So oh, right. we had it up through October, and then that's now right. we have another uh, few months of reprieve, as it were, and the funding is there <laughs> to support that. Yes. Um, the only thing is, on the, uh, you may have heard on the legal uh, uh, um, um, sort of front, there was a, uh, a case around. 
on the um, the uh, legality of the Affordable Care Act, continued uh, work in, in that space. So there was a appeals court case in Louisiana where uh, that case was determined uh, that the individual mandate was no longer constitutional because the uh, dollars had been driven down to zero and that pretend it, the end of the ACA, uh, the court decided to kind of punt on that issue and send it back to the lower court. So there's still more work happening just this week. Actually, the Supreme Court uh, declined an expedited review from the state of California and other states that were uh, asking for this uh, matter to be uh, resolved uh, in a more expedited fashion. So um, uh, as the LA Times put it, uh, the ACA is threatened but lives, to, uh, lives on at least for another day. So uh, we took the proactive step of sending out to our workforce in the community that none of this work, although that uh, decision was ominous and uh, people expected that it would not happen, uh, we wanted to make sure that people understood that for us, our work continues and this does not impact our mission or the community that we intend to serve and continue to serve. So uh, we'll continue to follow this, but I want to make sure you know about that. And then the last thing on this uh, case is something we referenced to you at the end of uh, November because it just come out uh, in the beginning or middle of November, the um, CMS or the part of the administration um, put out a proposed rule that was uh, uh, called the Medicare Fiscal Accountability Rule, or MFAR. This rule threatens really the underpinnings of uh, supplemental funding overall. Uh, many states, uh, like California, use uh, uh, non-state-based funding to uh, uh, make up what is called a non-federal share, which the federal government then matches to support the Medicaid program. Um, this rule is calling into question a lot of those practices and, if, and, and asking or at least promulgating that they will be discontinued. If that happens, uh, the, the lion's share then of millions, hundreds of, uh, actually I think billions of dollars uh, that uh, are used to uh, basically uh, supplement the Medicaid program would be at risk. So this is uh, kind of an existential matter for us. Uh, we are working very careful, uh, closely with a lot of our stakeholder entity groups, including our county partners, to respond to this. Uh, there's usually a two-month window to respond, so that would have been middle of January. Over the holidays, they extended the response period, given that there were holiday uh, uh, periods during this time to the beginning of February. Uh, so we are now working on our response, as is the county and other stakeholders. Um, because of the nature of the political environment and this being an administration, uh, the lead has uh, been taken by a lot of conservative states who are also being impacted by this, like the state of Texas, state of Florida, and others, and in the hopes that they will convince the administration that this is a horrible time, or a horrible thing to do, at least uh, at least a horrible time to try to consider it. This is not the first time something like this has been uh, advanced, uh, and so we're trying to uh, um, push it back again. So I just want you to be aware of that, and we'll keep you apprised of how it, uh, how it uh, progresses, and hopefully successfully. On the same front, as you know, every year the governor releases his preliminary budget at the beginning of January, and so on January 10th, this governor, uh, Governor Newsom, uh, released his budget, and um, uh, there was a lot of good things uh, uh, in this budget, and we were very excited about them. Um, as you know, our 1115 waiver ends at the end of December, so we're uh, actively working with a lot of stakeholders to figure out how supplemental funding, assuming MFAR doesn't come into uh, effect, uh, will now be transitioned, and the state of California is doing something that we told you was called uh, Cal-AIM at the time, and now it's called 
Medi-Cal Healthier California for All. Don't ask me. Don't ask. Let's just put it that way. Um, but it's the same initiative. The governor has put $695 million in his uh, preliminary budget behind this effort, which is a substantial amount of uh, investment at the state level uh, and was refreshing to see. And there's still a lot of work uh, that is involved in figuring out how those funding uh, sources will work and how we'll transition existing funding, uh, funding mechanisms into this thing. But positive signs and we're working locally to make sure that all of our uh, key entities are um, uh, our health plan, our county, and a lot of other provider entities are working closely to make sure we understand how this is going to work and we uh, take the opportunity to advocate for what's in the interest of the community and, and, and the patients we serve. Uh, the other thing... Tell back you. Yes, I think sir. people in the back might be having a hard time hearing you. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's usually not the case. My apologies. Uh, there we go. Put this a little bit closer. Um, uh, President, uh, you're going to have to do that often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second thing, just to reference briefly, um, uh, and uh, speaking of our president, he's referencing this image, um, the governor, um, uh, or, or featured in this image, I should say, uh, the governor also put in his budget about $750 million around addressing the plight of homelessness in our state. Uh, and I forgot what the uh, name of the initiative is, but he's been going around a couple of uh, the metropolitan areas around the state to tout uh, the effort to address uh, in a collaborative fashion, but putting some skin in the game at the state level in terms of dollars as well as um, uh, state-owned assets that might be able to be repurposed to support uh, uh, the uh, looming and increasing housing crisis around our state, including in our own county. So we're excited about this. Obviously, there's a great uh, a correlation and resonance to uh, the patients in the community we serve. Housing is health, we like to say. And uh, so there's a great correlation between the work that's happening in Cal Lane, we still call it, uh, and uh, this housing initiative and we're excited about the prospects of that and we'll be tracking along with that as the budget gets revised in May and gets finally produced in June and that's going to impact our own budget uh, as we move forward as well. Okay. Uh, and then, as I mentioned just quickly for uh, Safar, uh, you've heard uh, from a lot of our uh, providers, our chiefs uh, of staff, that uh, things are really going uh, quite swimmingly in the clinical realm for Safar. A lot of work still to be done, to be certain. Um, our second go live, as it was, on the uh, revenue cycle side, and that is uh, not quite at the level of stability that we uh, have on the clinical side to be expected, uh, but we're reporting that that still is the case. Uh, because of that, we stay, uh, we remain with our Epic partners as uh, watch status, and a lot of the drivers for that is our rev cycle. So our CFO and our, our, our IT leadership is working with the rest of our leadership to really address some of those things that we expected to happen that have in fact happened as we transition our revenue cycle over to this new, more robust uh, tool and work with not just internal mechanisms, but also with our uh, uh, claims um, um, uh, intermediary as well as our uh, health plans uh, and, and payers to make sure that we are uh, getting to a point of stability. Uh, we targeted uh, the end of February to really get back to uh, our, our original state, our baseline status, and uh, we've had progress over the holidays in getting there. We've had some um, uh, what we call them backsliding too, uh, uh, sometimes over the holidays, including this past weekend with MLK. It's tough because we also have, obviously, our pay, uh, peers uh, who are also taking the holiday off, so we see our AR creep up. Uh, but we we have this kind of up and down uh, um, experience in, that we're occurring, but very focused effort to get us to our baseline performance and beyond. Uh, so uh, just let you know, there's a lot of uh, focus and contract. Um, um, a 
aligned uh, work in that space. Um, this is just showing you kind of a reflection of that. You can see the up and downs. Uh, these are metrics on open and closed tickets that Mark generally reports on. I'm not going to go into detail now, but if you want to hear more about this, we can talk about it. And these are just planned activities or activities that are happening. The only thing I'll highlight on this slide is our My Alameda Health enrollment uh, continues to uh, grow. So people are signing up for our patient portal. Bit of a personal story. <laughs> My wife was expressing frustration because she had to get some uh, clinic appointments here recently uh, and uh, was um, uh, frustrated at some of our um, uh, call center experiences she was having. And uh, she signed up the next day after giving me an earful uh, on her portal and uh, took the time to send me a text to say, in order to give you some positive feedback, I'm on the portal and it's amazing. Uh, and she was talking about the fact that she could see all of her records. Uh, uh, I took the time to remind her that our daughter and I have been signed up for a couple of months, and it's nice, <laughs> nice of her to join us, uh, so that's good. Um, so yeah, so ongoing activity across the organization in this space, and uh, uh, we have our second epic post-live visit. We had the first one in December, good uh, feedback and results from that, and as you heard, we're going to be doing some work uh, uh, to do some uh, continued uh, investment in uh, our workflows and our um, standardized procedures and training and support for our providers uh, in the use of the system. And then finally, on the budgeting standpoint, we continue to be ahead of budget, uh, uh, but that gap is closing as uh, a lot of our uh, training costs and other sort of uh, go-live costs are, are uh, coming due, as well as we continue to invest in additional support in the rev cycle space and other spaces to get us back to performance. So with that, I am, uh, I'll conclude my report. I'm happy to entertain any questions on any of this or uh, anything I didn't mention that you may uh, be interested in. Uh, I want to acknowledge, I'm sorry, Trustee Jensen, I know you sent me a message last night to uh, speak to the uh, coronavirus, and I was going to ask you to ask during uh, QPSC, but we ran behind. But I want to uh, assure you, uh, Dr. Uh, Hussein can provide an update, but we are uh, uh, staying in uh, lockstep with the CDC around kind of alerts and making sure that our providers are aware of uh, uh, the, the risk and some of the activities that are happening in the public health space as well as uh, uh, what to look out for as uh, patients present within the organization. So uh, if we could take any uh, sort of more specific questions offline, I'd, I'd be happy to do that with you. Okay, thanks. And then, any other questions or thoughts? Okay, thank you very much. Any questions? All right, on to the committee reports. Trustee Bouquet. Hi, uh, thank you. Um, I'm giving the report from the uh, November 21st, 2019 QPSC. Keeping it brief, we did our standard work approving policies and credentials, having robust discussions about safety and, reg and regulatory affairs. Uh, as uh, this uh, body knows, we have a regular article which we discussed. The article we discussed at the last one related to a theme we've been talking about in the Quality Committee, which is the patient voice, the patient interaction in our system. The article was entitled, Five Ways Healthcare Organizations Can Amplify the Voice of the Patient. This article is included in your packet, as it always is, but I just want to give you what those five points were. It's actually a nice article. First, make senior leadership accessible to all patients. Second, proactively engage patients in informal settings. Uh, the, the, the thought being, if they come to formal committees, they might be a little bit, they might be a little bit more hesitant to speak up. So luncheons, activities, and those kind of things. Third, require non-patient-facing organizational leaders to connect with patients regularly. I think this is an old, uh, a supremely important thing to really understand the work that is done here 
for those uh, of our leaders who don't face patients on a daily basis. Fourth, explicitly use patient input to drive program design. That's truly putting the patient at the center. And last, tell story, patient stories often, which I think we try to do in this, in this setting, which I, I, I think we can always do more. So I, I think that's a very good article. It's there for your review in your packet. Um, as you know, we always conduct a chief of staff report. I always ask him the same question, to tell me your concerns, uh, to, how can we help navigate you. There were some themes which were iterated by the chiefs of staff uh, this evening from Alameda Hospital, concerns for previously for specialty coverage, the transfer center in EPIC, from San Leandro, specialty coverage, OR inefficiencies, EPIC, uh, from the core, diversity, relationships with uh, between the administrators and providers and EPIC. Um, last, we had a uh, report. Uh, we get quarterly reports, as you know, from each of the strategic business units. It was the ambulatory report at that time. And uh, they gave a very nice report uh, showing us their dashboard. The dashboard is lighting up nicely for us. There are, there are a couple of items which the, the EPIC data have not allowed us to see yet, but this should be forthcoming in the spring, as we heard in our report. Dr. Barbaria's top concerns were number one, EPIC, and number two, culture. And uh, that ends my report. Any questions? Thank you. Right. HR committee, Trustee Jensen. Thank you. Uh, the HR committee actually met yesterday. We were here at this time yesterday, and we heard excellent updates from, from um, County at HR and his lead managers, Sheila Walker and Shemaine Pierce. Tony Redman, um, of course, led with our dashboard, which is continuing to struggle. AHS is continuing to struggle with staff turnover, and we heard some ideas to help improve onboarding. HR, the HR department is also monitoring time to fill positions, which at this time is extended due to um, a, our contracting medical provider has a lag in um, doing the medical exams for new staff. So um, HR is working on that. The um, main reports, there were two of them, was the first one was the Dependent Verification Project, which as um, you know, as the board knows, the AHS did the first, I believe, um, verification of dependents of all staff. And it was definitely interesting to see how much outreach was done by the HR, HR staff and committees and how much, um, how, many opportunities staff had to participate and provide information. And after that, um, of our 5,5200 staff at AHS, there was about nine, of, between nine and 10% of employee dependents were dropped. 502 employee dependents were dropped due to non-response, insufficient documentation, or admission of dependent ineligibility. And so of those 502, there are some that I think 100 and about 150 that have been re-enrolled um, re because they provided, they said that that, that that was erroneous to drop. And so those re-enrollments will be reviewed to ensure that those dependents are eligible. And going forward, future hires will be audited upon hire. And the good news was that there's an immediate savings to the organization of $2.5 million. That's so, an annual number? Yeah. yeah, well, for the first year, but then it was, yeah. So that's the number we've been losing every year. 
outreach again to get participation. And um, we had a lot of questions that were very well. The responses were, were, were effective. So um, I, I would urge everyone to look at the HR book if you want more information about that or talk to Tony Redmond. Finally, um, the great news, the really good news, the HR committee heard an excellent update from the AHS Finance Committee, and it appears that our retirement funds are continuing to do better than the market. So that's good news. That's my report. Thank you. Questions for Trustee Jensen? Totally the market. All right. Finance Committee, Trustee Shequin. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the Finance Committee met, and uh, what I'm going to try to do in this report is uh, sort of uh, recommend areas uh, for trustees to look at. So the first item is revenue, of course, um, and we're, uh, as projected in our budget forecasting, uh, really struggling with uh, revenue now. A lot of it has to do with the uh, Epic Sapphire install, um, but we have... Um, a significant uh, shortfall, as you can see in the uh, reporting, uh, and we assumed uh, actually an EBITDA, negative EBITDA of almost 5%, and it's actually closer to uh, 6.8, it's close to 7%. Uh, there'll be more detail on this uh, from our CFO, but I want to point that out as something we very much need to track. Um, the forecast is um, expecting that the EBITDA will come back, uh, basically the, our uh, revenue will recover, and that uh, we should be pretty close to the budgeted EBITDA amount. Uh, again, uh, these, are, these are the things that we really need to track very carefully. Um, staff reported on performance uh, revenue enhancement strategies, and it's a mixed bag. Um, I encourage you to look at that in the packet. It's um, page uh, 228, um, and I was very, uh, I think the staff, uh, the uh, committee members were um, appreciative to hear that staff is actually considering course corrections before the end of the year, uh, or at least uh, planning around those uh, for uh, strategies that are not, are clearly not working. Uh, um, and so there'll be more to report on that. I won't get into the details. The other, uh, as you uh, recall, the other issue uh, that we're facing is around cash, uh, the net negative uh, balance. Um, and and here, the news is interesting here. I mean, so there'll be much more detail in staff's report, but it uh, looks like we're going to be uh, able to avoid the guillotine in uh, FY 2020. Uh, but that's simply because the state is not likely to recoup the amount of dollars that we anticipate they might recoup from us during this fiscal year. So what that means is they haven't got around to it yet, and they will probably get around to it next year. And that leaves uh, a looming challenge for us in the creation of the FY 2021 budget, which we're pretty close to February. We start doing that in earnest in March. Uh, I encourage trustees to start tuning into that uh, very carefully. And I think that's uh, primarily uh, what I have to report. Any questions? Thank you. Thank you. All right, next we have the Alameda Hospital Seismic Planning Ad Hoc Committee update. From right, Tracy. so we've, we've had, uh, and Tracy, please join in. And uh, Kenny, 
Uh, we've had, uh, I think, two and a half meetings uh, so far. One, one meeting there was a little screw up on, in, on several of our parts, but uh, we. <laughs> it was just me. I represented everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, w I was one of the. Both our chairs uh, ended up having a problem, but the uh, the committee is comprised of, uh, I guess, three people from the district and three people from the board. And then uh, we have our, our staff people include our COO and then the... It's just one from the district. One from just the district? Get just Gail? Yeah, me is also. Okay. ED. Is that right? Just, just one from the yeah. district? Okay. Oh, got it, got it, got it. And uh, and so Lewis and uh, <coughs> Debbie have been the staff to us, so we got pretty high-functioning high staff there. And. Uh, what, what we've done is we've, uh, we started by uh, kind of looking at where we are right now. And um, we had a, a Kaufman Hall did a report for us. Uh, I think it's really kind of an illuminating report. And actually, I've suggested that we uh, have um, the district do a, and Kaufman do a, a presentation at our offsite. Uh, and what it does is it, it, it looks at uh, uh, what what the hospital would look like if it was just business as usual, but just bring it forward 10, ten years. And then what it would look like if they were uh, a standalone. And then uh, I think we all kind of gravitated to the middle, which is coming up with something that uh, is kind of a hybrid that works for, for uh, the district, uh, works for the system, you know, works for the city and the county. And, uh, and I think that's, that's kind of where we're going to put a lot of our efforts kind of going forward. We also uh, looked at some of the trends, and uh, um, they, didn't, they didn't all look great, but I, but I mean the sense is that we're going to come up with a solution that's kind of a win, not kind of, it's a win-win for everyone. Uh, and I think everybody that was there expressed a commitment to doing that. Uh, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be a difficult road. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, rather than saying much more about it, I'm hoping that we can have a presentation at our offsite. I think it'd be very worthwhile, uh, assuming that the district is, you know, open to doing that. And I, I believe we've been there's a conversation um, with uh, the consultants who are looking at our financials in more detail about a report coming out of that work uh, coming out at the retreat uh, being presented at the retreat as well right so it seems like it would make sense to do both of these at the yeah. at the yeah. same yeah. Uh, same shot because we're we'll be in a financial mindset yeah. you will one one of course has some performance issues with it so we, we may do that in closed session uh, anyway that's that's my that's my report <laughs> short and sweet Anyone want to add anything, Trustee Jensen? Yeah. Tracy Kinney? Yeah. Did you want to talk about the public statement that went out and the uptake? Oh, sure, that? sure. So that we, you know, there was, there was uh, as many of you know, there was some uh, criticism and some confusion around the funds that we put up, the $25 million for the seismic upgrades. And so uh, the uh, task force got together, the ad hoc committee got together, and we developed a joint statement. Mm -hmm. And the statement was sent out to all the papers, and there was a short version that, uh, and a long version. And I think it uh, it was fairly stated our position, and you know um, uh, that this that 
we're not holding back on uh, funding our commitment and that uh, we also have some challenges going forward together. Did it get published? Yes, it did. I think the Mercury. Uh, yeah, well, and it, w it, w it was also in our, our yes, local paper, our two local papers, a short version and a long version. If, um, if I could just ask Delvecchio if you would just, uh, it's a good time to let the board know about the construction and about how we're moving forward. Uh, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm, gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm not the subject matter expert, but do we go back to the development? Oh, okay. Well, uh, like, you, when Luis is back, we can ask him. But uh, the sure, work I, is moving it, forward, but I can have It's him moving back. forward. We've gotten um, a lot of communication, I would say. The, um, mm -hmm. the leadership at the hospital, the staff at the hospital, and people in the community are getting updates. And um, we've, the ground is definitely broken. That's yeah, we could have more information if you want. If you like, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Like that. Just sorry. Knowing that the ground is broken is just that's. Uh, when did that happen? It's been about six. It was last late last year. Okay. I couldn't say what certain so I won't I say. Think it was late November. <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah. It's of note. Progress. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. The link to the article, uh, so you know, it is in, it's in the board packet oh. on, on yeah. page 259. Uh, so it, it, I, I know we've got coverage in at least three papers. Yeah. So we, we put the one for the Mercury News here. <laughs> Great. When we click on it, they'll make us subscribe. <laughs> They've done so. Or, or, or they'll tell us that you, you've already exceeded your monthly readership <laughs> limit. So, like, or, or you get, you get to read half the article. Right, and it's right. shaded. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mercury News is the worst about that. Sorry, I'm out of order. We should, we should subscribe. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, he's free. Questions for the Seismic Planning Committee? No? Great. All right, moving to the consent agenda. I would to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any abstentions or declines? No? Great. Consent agenda is adopted. Um, now on to Dr. Jamaladeen, the HP update, new co-unification efforts. Thank you. Uh, Do you hear me? For your microphone. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let me just uh, start by uh, congratulation, Trustee Apoaleta, for the presidency. And thank you, Trustee DeVries. You have been extremely supportive and helpful in giving us direction. Um, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Savio for his uh, for his comment. Uh, you know, we've been working very very closely. At, uh, just uh, uh, I, I like just to mention something at the human level with uh, Dr. Savio. I learned uh, about probably two years ago that he he uses he drives a motorcycle, and uh, one of the terrifying feeling I have when I'm crossing the uh, Golden Gate Bridge on a rainy day if my car stops, uh, but then I think about Dr. Savio, if I call him, he will come 
and help me out. <laughs> He's the first person who would come to my, to my mind. And he'll come happily and, and he help. He's that kind of human being. They just don't, and he takes care of, of, of babies. Uh, I, I always, uh, you know, when I want to meet to, with him, I either have to pull him from the front line or go to the front line to talk to him for, for a few minutes. So I, I really appreciate uh, his trust in me, and I am, uh, I, I, I will always strive to live up to, 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 to this trust. So we have been uh, working uh, on this uh, unification. I assumed as an interim president of AHP around September, October, and uh, we've been working. So my purpose uh, for this is just to give an update for uh, the board and uh, entertain any question or concerns that they might have about, about this, this initiative. So just to give a very quick, uh, you know, uh, for some of the board members about the OK Medical Group, that they have been uh, serving uh, Alameda Health System, Alameda County before that for decades in uh, you know, high level, the obstetrics, gynecology, the emergency department, the medicine that includes all subspecialties in medicine. But in addition here, we have departments that are uh, like in, in medical school as department, they are in the Department of Medicine, like dermatology, neurology, geriatric, palliative care, and pediatrics. Uh, important facts to keep in mind about the OK Medical group is that they have built a very successful residency program that is uh, nationally known and recognized uh, in the emergency department and in medicine. They have very, very competitive uh, applicants with a huge diversity among uh, the people who are accepted and apply and come to train and take care of our patients. They have a very strong internal uh, governance. Uh, since uh, I joined here in uh, 2016, uh, uh, like every issue that I address with their leadership, it gets it gets really uh, taken care of in a very prompt way. No matter how difficult it is, and no matter how challenging it is, uh, you will have the discussion. And their governance really uh, has been very effective, at least you know from my perspective, addressing HR issues or other issues related to staffing. Uh, they have a very strong community. They, they, they uh, work very uh, effectively with each other, and they have a very strong identification with Highland, having served here for, for, for uh, many years. They have really created a space in, in, their, in their structure for healthcare innovation and for publications. They have uh, really uh, trained uh, people who went outside and became leaders in their, in their specialties, and uh, they, they uh, publish you know, a number of very important publications, whether it is from the emergency department, whether it is from uh, the internal medicine, gastroenterology. Uh, and uh, they have created internal incentives for their providers uh, to incentivize them to do, uh, you, you know, the, the, the things that, that has to be done and to, to, to create some kind of, like, equity for, for people who are working hard. Uh, they have also, uh, in, in, in some specialties, subcontracted to support the providers to provide calls and weekend, uh, weekend uh, coverage. Uh, the Alameda Health Partner Physician, uh, it started around 2000, 2015, 2016. When I came, they had those services up and down, orthopedics, urology, anesthesia, radiology. Very uh, strong and dedicated physicians, uh, you know, very hardworking. 
and uh, we have worked with them uh, on integrating services. Uh, radiology, uh, it was integrated throughout the system, anesthesia recently, pathology recently. The ED was done with the OK Medical Group, uh, uh, integration of all the ED services. It was very, very challenging uh, uh, project, but you know, the OK uh, at that time s stood up, came and helped, and we were able to staff all our emergency uh, rooms in the three acute care hospitals. Uh, and uh, the hospitalist medicine at St. Leonard joined AHP uh, about, uh, about two years ago. Uh, the observation that I have uh, found in Alameda Health Partners, it, uh, the governance is present, but it's not as strongly established as it is in the OCARE Medical Group. Uh, the timekeeping and approval and auditing of uh, the physicians, again, is, uh, uh, is not as tight as it should be. Uh, there was, uh, there is no structured residency program in the Alameda Health Partners Services. Uh, we have two residents in orthopedics. They are part of the St. Mary's uh, residency program. They, they work here. They are very like. They are very effective. And we are like an important part uh, at, as AHS for the training of those, of those residents. Uh, there hasn't been like an evaluation process for the providers within AHP. And uh, there are no incentives that were created within within AHP. Uh, you know, having said that, uh, the, the the physicians in AHP are again, you know, strongly uh, dedicated to Alameda Health System, and uh, they have uh, they have worked very very effectively together with the OK Medical Group. And if you would ask me, you know, at any time, uh, is this physician or service, when I started here, like they are AHP or okay, I wouldn't be able to tell. So with the unification agreement, um, we have reached this agreement in June of uh, 2019, where uh, uh, with, uh, with the OCARE leadership that we will employ the physicians via salary, which was uh, divided into three tiers. We used a consultant uh, to have fair market value related to the salary of the physician. And uh, OCARE uh, insisted and we supported to have 10% incentives uh, that will be defined and, uh, and, uh, and uh, delineated by the boards. And then also we reach an agreement on the benefits. Uh, the post-affiliate agreement, uh, after we reached this agreement, OCARE uh, was uh, very uh, uh, open and helpful in saying, let's put all the employment in AHP of all backfills. So if a physician leaves from OCARE, uh, the, the leadership in OCARE has been working with the AHP uh, administration and HS administration, uh, as well as uh, the, the, the non-physician leadership or, or, or uh, administrative leadership in OCARE working on, on really backfilling uh, all positions uh, from, from uh, the OCARE medical group into HP until we go live uh, uh, at the end of the contract, which is the end of June 2020. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, so this has been happening. We, we have had like a large number of positions that were with the job description were listed and were recruited, and uh, those physicians have already started working under the leadership of the OCARE physicians. 
so uh, I tried to summarize major tasks here. This is a short list, and it is not very chronological, so there could be some things that are happening at the same time. But uh, the finalization of the benefits, we call it now MUCO. We are searching for a name. We have had, an, uh, we, we launched a nomination context, and we are hoping that we'll get a name within probably four uh, weeks, I hope, to the physician group. Uh, so we have uh, uh, completed a number of retreats with physician leaders and not only with O'Care, and uh, it was also done with AHP and UCSF physicians where we have looked at the services and at the staffing and at the salaries. And this uh, has, those retreats uh, have, have been helping us also since we had the finance uh, 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 people with us will help us for our next uh, year budgeting. And it involves also uh, uh, like uh, engaging the physician leaders in, 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 in having a voice about, about the future staffing and future budgeting within Alameda Health System for the physicians. Uh, we determined the FTE per service, and now we're working on ensuring that this is going to be budget neutrality, this unification. Uh, I have uh, preliminary data that we are going to be within budget with this unification, that it is not going to be an increased cost for, for the system. Uh, we are still validating and uh, discussing some lines, but I can reassure the board that we will, we will be within, within budget. And, and, and on time. Uh, we are working now on finalizing the job description of all O'Care specialists and subspecialists. Uh, and we have started a unified communication strategy where I will send a letter with Dr. Savio to ensure that the HP physicians and the O'Care physicians know what's going on. Uh, we will plan also some uh, unified uh, uh, like town halls to get together and, and, and share all this information. Uh, so uh, we are going to transition the contracts of, uh, this, the, there are some contracts of providers under, under uh, O-Care that are going to be transitioned to the new co into an employment as service as, as needed and we have defined those contracts and we will be working with the contracting team in Alameda Health System. We uh, eventually will post the jobs for the O-Care providers and then they will apply uh, through the process and they will be uh, 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 they will be uh, onboarded uh, and, and they will be employed within the new co under the governance of the new co uh, board. Uh, uh, we are also working on the, on the administrative staff that will support the chairs and the division chiefs. We have, uh, uh, HR has done an auditing to see what are the jobs that they are doing and how can we uh, find uh, like the support structure that OKR has provided to their chairs and chiefs in the, in the new call. But this also will happen for HP because some of the observation I found is that the HP leaders did not have the, uh, the non-physician support or administrative support that they needed. Uh, we are working on also building an HR infrastructure for the physician enterprise to uh, recruit uh, uh, hire uh, and onboard uh, physicians and uh, you know we will execute the employment agreement with all the OCARE medical providers and in July 1st the OCARE, uh, the NUCO will, 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 will go live with uh, unified HP and the OCARE medical, medical group. So uh, this is the process that we have been using for the budgeting evaluation. This is the work of uh, Helen Tan 
and Julie Chu, uh, uh, who report to, uh, to our CFO, and they have been working closely with me and with uh, uh, OK Medical Group and the HP physicians to see uh, uh, how we are going to be within budget and, and ensure that all the physicians hiring uh, uh, is executed. And these are like uh, the, the, the aims we will budget to ensure that scope of services that uh, call as per FMV and will absorb the administrative cost uh, uh, is also included in, in the budget. And uh, the incentivization uh, process. So, uh, so what happened with the physicians and what happens with the system over the past three years We've been moving more and more towards system integration in all those services. Uh, we have built our quality system. You have heard uh, Dr. Hussein giving the report earlier. The medical staff integration and unification is happening. The ambulatory restructuring uh, uh, you know, has happened. We are going to give more focus towards our ambulatory uh, footprints beyond the primary care in the subspecialty in the future state. The Sapphire implementation has happened and the rehab move has, has happened. Uh, so uh, this uh, future state for our physician group is really creating an alignment. We want to create an alignment. We want to keep within the physician group as much as possible their ability to do their HR processes, the, the recruitment, the timekeeping, the scheduling, the yearly evaluation, the same way as it is done for AHS employee. <coughs> And we want to work with our finance team on, on helping AHS with the, with, the, with the revenue cycle and with trying to fill any gap that is created by the decrease in the supplemental funds by improving our, our volume. When I talk to the physician about this, everybody is on board. What they ask is, we really want data, we want good data, and, and every, everybody, the, the, I cannot express how much the physicians are on board for this, for this mission. Uh, so in the, in the future alignment, we are aiming to have a physician scorecard and a departmental scorecard. And we are aiming at having more and more data-driven leadership. Uh, not only about productivity, but also about utilization and about quality benchmark metrics. You know, uh, any, any, any scorecard that has to do with the physician or the provider, you know, productivity could be very high, but if the utilization is, is, is high and the quality is low, then we end up losing even though the productivity is high. And those, those three axes sometimes pull, they pull in different direction. But I can tell you that all the physicians are on board. Give us data and then we will, we will deliver. We are looking also into practice growth opportunities to see what Alameda County needs and how we as physicians can provide those services and how we, you know, how we can really grow AHS just beyond being just a trauma and behavioral health delivery system. We want to be a premier delivery system as we move forward. We want to see how we can sustain this, this, this vision. So recruitment, retention, and career development, and then uh, you know, addressing burnout factor, making it the joy of caring and professional growth. Uh, I took this picture from the archive. This shows uh, Highland Hospital at the beginning of the century. I have a lot of fun 
and love for old photos, and it makes me it makes me melt in the in the, in the photo. But you know, when I look at it and I see you know how it was and what role it has played in the previous century, it gives me a great uh, a great feeling of inspiration. Uh, but this is a different uh, picture that I also pulled from the archive. If if you look at the top of the picture, it says uh, Alameda County emergency, and it's June 1940. Uh, but uh, you can see in this picture uh, really a very, very interesting moment. Uh, 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 it's, you can see the, the doctor and the nurse and the patient. And uh, is Janet still here? Janet, can you see the hand of the nurse? You know, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and uh, did you see the keys also, where, where the keys is? Still, they do it like this, to this day. You know, I, I, I just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a narcotic. They had a 1940 narcotic lock. I don't know what, what this key is for. But, uh, but what, what I'd like to, to share with you is how many barriers we have created in our healthcare system. I'm not, I'm not talking at AHS. Like now we have to wear gloves, we have to put masks, we uh, have to put like a lot of things which are very, very legitimate. But what I can tell you, uh, and I say this because, I mean, it wasn't in the 40s, in the 60s, uh, I, I had to have uh, surgery, and uh, I remember uh, my parents' work, I woke up, I, oh, look at the kidney basin. You see, this is called the kidney basin. It's metallic. <laughs> so I remember waking up and, uh, and, uh, and being nauseated and in pain. And my parents work, and uh, you know, I was a little boy, and uh, I don't know where I was, and there was a hand like this touching me. So I, I want to bring this forward because there is magic here in the, in the delivery, and this magic of, of communication between the nurse and the physician that no matter how many barriers we are going to put, it's going to remain. This is what we are here for, and this magic of care. So I received my, uh, my care at Alameda Health System. I haven't needed to have surgery here yet, but if I do, I will feel very, very confident in our doctors and our nurses. This is another picture that is taken from the archive from Alameda County, and this is called the Iron Lung. And this Iron Lung came about during the polio epidemic, and I am a pulmonologist, so I have a lot of fun you know, explaining this to my students and the physiology of this. But it reminds me always that you know, as a public health system, we are always going to be in the eye of the storm. You know, we are here to be like really for the community. And you know, whether it is Ebola, whether it is uh, coronavirus right now, you know, that's what, what, we are here, what we are here for. And, 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 and to remind also people that they have, they have to support us with this because it is going to be our physicians who are going to really take care of the injured and of the people who are affected by any public health uh, issues. This is another picture, and I, I don't have the date on this one, but this is probably the street. This is Veracito. I, I park, I probably park under this building or around this building. But this is the old, uh, like the old ambulatory care center. I can tell it from the car. It's probably like 80s, late 80s, yeah, late 80s, late 90s. Again, it gives me like a little bit perspective about about you know how how we have how we have moved. This is where we are right now. This is our new building. This is when I came in 2016. It was just open. 
the Sapphire was not there when I took care of a patient. I had to really interact and sign in to at least seven systems with different, with different passwords to take care of one patient. Uh, now we have you know, a single uh, electronic health system that is supporting this. But also, as a CMO, I came in with 150 uh, physician contract, individual physician contract. One of them was okay, it was the biggest contract, but there was another 149. 80 of them were on holdover. So uh, as, as we move forward, now we, are, we have only like three or four on holdover. We are much less in this number of the contract. But our physician group, I call them, when we get the name, but it's the AHS physician organization. It's going to be really very, very uh, important in, 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 in helping the future of the system. And I have faith in our physician, and I, I am confident that we are going to move forward with this the way we have achieved all the other things. Uh, I took this picture uh, on June 27, 2019, when uh, our board uh, voted for, for the bylaw change. Uh, and uh, there was like really a moment of jubilee about this because we were, we were seeing this future. So uh, this is uh, probably my last slide. I want to thank everybody you know, from the OIK Medical Group, HP physicians, uh, the administrative staff. I can tell you that uh, the administrative staff from HP and OIK has been working together very, very effectively. Uh, the NHS leadership and staff, HR and finance, have been very, very supportive. The HP board and, of course, uh, your, your board has been very supportive in this, in this process. So uh, with this, I want to just use a quote from Nelson Mandela, who said, it always seems impossible until it is done. And thank you. I will entertain any question. Thank you. Any questions for Dr. Jamaluddin? Thank you. That was uh, really moving, and thanks for the history lesson also. Um, that was great. Um, and thanks to you and all your hard work, um, Dr. Savio, Dr. Baden, all the other physicians. Um, it, it's been a journey, and I guess we've come a pretty long way. Um, thank you. I, I do have a question. Um, it, I, I feel bad because the end was so inspirational. I hate to go back to, like, more mundane. but. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that the, the physicians advocated for with this, with this integration, uh, you know, would be you know, the, more of the physician voice at the leadership table. Um, and I'm just curious how, how um, I don't know what metrics you would use, but how will you report to our board how things have changed once, once this is done? And, and how will we see a difference in terms of that, that physician voice here that we as board members can, can measure and reflect on and, 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 and hold, hold you accountable for? I will take this as an action item and come with an effective answer about ensuring that the voice of the physician is, is, is heard at, the, at, at this table at the Board of Trustees. Come with a, with a, with a more effective answer. I don't want to, yeah. Um, then I would ask also that you include the large practices that we have that are not now AHP or new co. Yes. Uh, mainly the, I'm thinking mainly of the hospitalists and radiologists. Well, not the radiologists so much, but the hospitalists. Yeah. 
Dr. Yi came to me and he, he spoke to me about uh, you know their future intention to explore a path also to join the, the group. So I, I, this conversation has already started, and uh, you know I uh, we value we value all of their doctors. They are extremely important for our system, and uh, this conversation has already started. Excellent. Thank you. Other questions? All right, moving us on to the Community Impact Initiative, Local Vendor Engagement Program. Thanks very much and uh, congratulations. So, um, assembled uh, down here is uh, Ira Holly, our Vice President of Contracting, and uh, Jessica Pitt, who is the Executive Director of Health Path, and uh, swooping in is uh, uh, Baljeet Sangha, who is the uh, Vice President of Support Services. So, they'll be joining me in this presentation uh, here this evening, and actually, uh, this presentation is more about the work that they're doing uh, than anything else. Uh, you know, when uh, the CEO came on board. He is, you know, talking about, you know, why this organization and what he intended to do. One of the things he articulated was the possibility or the expectation that uh, Alameda Health System would become, you know, not only uh, fulfill its, you know, public safety net mission, but also become, you know, a part of the community or an anchor institution based upon its ability you know, to not only, you know, provide the services that it would, but that it could, you know, increase, you know, the, uh, the opportunities of individuals within the community and actually, you know, use its resources, you know, to support the community. Um, and so that, you know, one element of that, you know, basically was sort of joined with, I think, interest by several of the board members in what we were doing with our spending and how that, you know, impacted the community. And, uh, you know, I remember any number of times, you know, uh, Trustee DeVries, you know, asking about local vendors when we were talking about, you know, competitive bidding processes or, you know, when we were looking uh, at spending money. And so that actually, you know, led to us, you know, uh, creating um, or working through what was necessary to sort of understand, you know, how we spend and how we could track spending and then the local vendor program that we uh, reported to on, uh, last year. And so this is a follow-up report uh, to that uh, by way of background. Um, and our follow-up report is, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, but there's a good reason for that. <clears throat> and um, I think that what we've learned over the course of this year, um, and in conjunction with other things that have been happening with the organization, that there's a greater opportunity for us to shift a little bit the focus of this program that we've reported to you on. Uh, we're not abandoning the principle. We're just trying to refine it to make it more a part of the strategic fabric. Um, in that it's not a, a standalone program that, you know, you sort of wonder, okay, what is the point of that or where is it going to? And we believe that there's some synergies that uh, have been created through the work that we've done to put this together and make it uh, uh, move forward that it will be very helpful to the organization. So that's what we're going to talk about, you know, during the presentation uh, here this evening. So, um, as you know, or as I had said, you know, there have been um, several folks working on that. You know, these uh, three folks here in particular, you know, over the course of the year. There have been some external partners we work with. We'll come back to this because I want them to talk about, you know, the relationships reflected here as they talk about, you know, the, the particular things that they've been working on. Um, you know, this was our original mission, um, or excuse me, oh, okay. My slides are a little bit different than these slides. Yeah, I'm, I'm fixing it, Mike, apologies. Okay, <laughs> okay. 
So that, oh, so this is the old one, huh? I never even noticed that. I had the exact same moment this morning. I was doing a PowerPoint. Um, it's a terrible feeling. Yes, indeed. So, and I probably rub <laughs> 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 it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he can sweat less. Yeah, okay. Feel horrible. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling worse by the moment. <laughs> Now that I have that additional understanding of how I should be feeling, you know, this too shall pass. Uh, dropping, dropping, dropping. <laughs> but no, I, so, you know, you've had a chance to see this in the materials, but, you know, the original mission statement goals really sort of focused on this idea of identifying local vendors and then figuring out how much we were spending with the local vendors. And, you know, it, theoretically that made sense, is that, you know, if they're local, that meant we're spending, you know, here. Um, the, one of the challenges we had was trying to, okay, once we have that information, what do we do with it? How do we use that to advance either the organization, you know, generally speaking, or, you know, particular goals within the organization? And it really caused us to sort of, you know, ask the question, okay, what does that spend actually mean? in terms of things and you know it was sort of brought home in some respects and when we look back at you know our um, uh, our contract with our parking vendor where we switched from a local vendor to a quote unquote non-local vendor but we still you know observed that there was most of those employees who worked for that other vendor continued to right. work for the new vendor and so the question is not so much you know are they local vendors it's how are the local vendors spending money and what are they what are they doing with it and what are we getting out of it so that is we sort of went through uh, you know the process you know that's you know part of what we learned so what we'll talk about is we'll give you an update on where we stand with uh, things now we will go back and sort of update you on the things that we said that we would do uh, when we gave our first report on this <coughs> as we start out. So uh, what I'll ask at this point is that, you know, uh, Ira and Jessica and Baljeet sort of help out. Uh, Ira has been working with a lot of the operational elements, you know, since this has been primarily... Ten grade, a tower, third floor, cat lab desk. Since he's been, you know, involved with most of the operational elements, uh, and then Baljeet and Jessica have been doing some specialized work that supports that. So, okay. I'll turn right. to you now. Thank you, Mike. Um, with regards to this slide, starting at the top, policy development and partial implementation. With Mike's guidance, um, some of the research that I was able to do in conjunction with others on staff has led to the creation of a draft policy. That policy has currently two elements that it covers, the competitive and non-competitive contracting. So that's an important element that I want to emphasize. There are multiple vehicles through which we can spend money that are separate from payroll. And Level one trauma, ETA, five minutes. Trauma team to the ER. Level one trauma, ETA, five minutes. So in addition to in addition to payroll, there are contracting, standalone purchase orders, and then there is GPO mediated purchases that you can have for either goods or for um, services. We focused on contracting initially because I was asked to work on this and my world was contracting. So I think part of what Mike is talking about is we are shifting focus, but we are not abandoning the core. The core is still local, and we are expanding it to encompass other elements that will, I think, give us a greater capture of the total dollars that are available for us to stimulate local community, hence community impact as opposed to local vendor. So I just wanted to clarify, I think, what Mike is trying to propose. 
which makes complete sense to me. Um, with regards to our progress on implementing that policy, we have made partial implementation for reasons that I'll go into a little bit in subsequent slides. At this point, we have already implemented the competitive. What that means is that we currently have a waiting process that we have implemented for any of our RFPs when they go. Um, I actually looked at our tally since we implemented. We, I think, had five or six RFPs, including several. One of them was resulted in the recent linen um, contract, which this board approved. Um, or maybe it will tonight. I can't recall. Um, either way, um, the waiting process gives I think suitable appropriate weight. It does vary. It is not completely formulaic. The individual evaluators can decide what they think is the actual evaluation <coughs> criteria on a case-by-case -case basis necessarily. So they seem to have arrived at something where the weighting has been between the high single to the low double-digit percentiles. So it's not unappreciable. And it can certainly tip the balance if all other things are equal, which I think is important because I always want to keep in mind that although it is important to try to fulfill the mission of stimulating local economic impact. There is still the overarching mission, which is focused on quality, financial, financial affordability, etc. So it's always with mind to keeping those in balance. So we took the low-hanging fruit, and that was the competitive. We don't do as many of them. It gave us an opportunity to have everything clearly laid out. And so we went forward and did that. So far on the five or six RFPs we have done, none have been calculated that have resulted either in a, a bidder who was local winning or actually had a single local bidder. Sometimes we are not able to even solicit, despite good efforts, a local bidder who is interested or even qualified to work in that space. But we do have this in place now. Separately, what we have not implemented yet, for reasons that I'll also go into in a subsequent slide, is the non-competitive. That is the largest, the lion's share of contracts. They do not go through the competitive bidding process, and we do about 450 of those per year. And the way we are currently envisioning implementing the local vendor process for non-competitive, it has additional steps necessarily, and we're still working to figure out the best way that will reduce the burden internally on various individuals in order to make the process still work. Because my department's also Kaizening at the time to try to increase the turnaround and productivity to meet other requirements, um, making sure the business flows. So that's that one in a nutshell, a big nutshell. Um, with regards to the database um, bullet, that one is essentially ongoing work to assume that we have the ability, once we implement, to know what we're impacting. Because if we can't measure it, it doesn't really exist. And so what we have done is we have cleaned the database to make sure all active contracts now have the address of the vendor. Because if we didn't have that, we can't tell you what we have been doing impact-wise. Um, as a result of that, we have actually gotten to the point where, in the third major bullet, we have discovered something I thought was interesting. As I've said, we haven't been able yet to implement the local vendor program for the vast majority of contracts non-competitive. Yet, without having implemented a change, we have noticed that we are running over the last 12 months in two separate snapshots that we're at about one-third of our active contracts right now without effort are already with what we define as local vendors, meaning the vendor is based in Alameda County. If we expand that definition to what we call regional, that would include Contra Costa and San Francisco counties, we're at 43%. So I think it's important to note that without <coughs> 
effort, although we're going to put that in, we're already at a certain point purely on the number of contracts. Now, there are other metrics that are very important, and that's going to come up later as well. This is an awesome message for the Code Gray Acute Care Power Airport Cat Lab Desk. Please continue to call the and so, um, in addition to focusing purely on the number of percentages of contracts that are local, um, although it's an obvious metric, it doesn't really possibly get at what you're really looking at. And so we're going to talk a little bit more, I think, about some intermediate and long-term metrics that will hopefully be both supported by you and of value. Um, and, and if I could jump in here just a second, Ira, you know, I think it's important to understand, you know, because when, you know, I, you know, basically sort of asked the question, you know, how many... You know, I you know, was sort of left. Okay, now what? You know, what should you know? What should that 31% be? Should it be 32%? Should it be 36%? Should it be 100%? Um, and so it was a question of you know, realistically, you know, what does it mean? You know, how do we sort of you know take this information and use it something which is going to you know push the organization along? So that was part of you know what it was nice to know and it was good you know, to understand that you know we you know just you know. From a, a holistic standpoint, we were doing this, but the question of what we were going to do with this now that we understood that, that's part of what, you know, we, what got us, you know, which started, you know, with actually being able to, you know, do that first measurement as far as it goes. Thank you. Um, and on to the fourth and last bullet on this slide that I will discuss, um, the community impact. This is actually kind of laying the ground for our subsequent slides discussion. Um, if it is nice to know what percentage of contracts are local, but you're looking for an assessment of what exactly are the impacts, um, we have determined that there is a company called Implant, and they are known nationwide. Kaiser and, a number, and our Vizient, our GPO, among others, utilize them as well to measure this. And essentially what Implant does is they use is government publicly available statistics, something from like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, U.S. Census, Treasury Department, that collect vast reams and troves of data with long data points. And they implant have algorithms, everybody does, and they essentially use that, and then they have an application. We go onto the platform, and we can input any contract that we are proposing to have with any vendor for anything for any given amount, for instance, a contract that you approve. And then we can input this, the algorithm accesses all of those various publicly available statistics, and then it converts this into an assessment. And we have worked with them to refine this, and it's very clear that we can get the economic impact in a number of areas, and I'll walk through a, a slide that actually shows this, of just what's happening in Alameda County. There will be other economic impact, because it's the world is the, econo the economy generally, but this is restricted. So when we're presenting to you, importantly, keep in mind, all of this is just what our, your dollars that you've approved, how they stay and how they stimulate locally. Now, this would be, I think, a logical next step for the development of what kind of metrics do you want to look at to define the impact. Um, then there are other way long term that we can talk about and kind of spitball that they're much more difficult both because of the length of time <coughs> we're talking about um, as well as how do you actually measure them and how do you make sure that you don't have conflicts with regards to something is also contributing to it. Anyway. That's enough for me. Back to you, Mike. Yeah, so yeah, what I like to do is just shift gears now and have uh, Baljeet and Jessica, or Jessica and Baljeet, uh, chime in. Um, you know, because 
you know, in sort of in conjunction with the information we get, you know, from Implan, you know, there, you know, we embarked on a relationship with the Health Anchor Network, which is, you know, a, a nonprofit organization, you know, which, you know, is championed by several large institutions, which is really focused on this idea of creating and uh, establishing and sustaining anchor or, uh, organizations. And then when we were looking at, okay, if we don't have enough local vendors, you know, what can we do to help local vendors be, you know, work within our system or work with our system and recognizing, you know, uh, as well that we do spending through our, you know, a GPO and that GPO has their own contacts and so how do we introduce local Alameda contacts, you know, to our GPO and that, you know, Waljeet uh, has the relationship with Vizian. So I'd like for the two of them to talk about the work that they did and how it sort of um, is peripheral to this, you know, other contracting piece that IRA has been working on. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the Healthcare Anchor Institution Network, and it's a national network of 45-plus healthcare systems from around the country that are really trying to use their economic power uh, to advance the well-beings of the communities in which they're located. Um, we are in the company of some really large healthcare systems like Kaiser, UCSF, Common Spirit, which was formerly Dignity, um, and many other healthcare systems around the country that are really embracing this idea that um, as local economic engines um, that also have, um, that are inextricably linked to the well economic well-being of the community, that we really need to invest more locally. Um, and so how do we use the assets that we have? And there are, there are really three main ways that the Healthcare Anchor Network is um, looking in that and one is inclusive local hiring. That's really the workforce piece. Um, and there, through HealthPath and as a member of the HR team, that's where I really focused. How do we think about local hiring? How do we think about creating pipelines of young people from the community to ultimately work at Alameda Health System? Then the inclusive local sourcing, that's what we're really talking about tonight, the procurement piece, and then place-based investment. So those are really the three main pillars of that healthcare anchor strategy. Um, so we're, uh, you know, Dovecchio attended a meeting of CEOs from health from the anchor network member systems across the country back in August and signed on to a pledge to really commit us as a system to advancing this work. Um, and so I think it just really speaks to what Ira and Mike have talked about, sort of moving away from this narrow focus on local vendor engagement to a much more um, inclusive focus on community impact. So, yeah, absolutely. Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> so, I want to talk a little about the uh, Vizient Supplier Diversity Programs. Uh, as we recall, uh, a couple of years ago, when we first initiated and embarked on the contract with Vizient, one of the, the value adds and the elements that we indicated set them apart was this aspect of the diversity program, how we're going to actually grow our local purchasing. So, very proud to say, and this is why it's on the accomplishment side, is that we're able to now grow that in a way that we've uh, leveraged their partnership in the, with Kaiser. So this is where we talked about in the previous slides, like where, where does that partnership land? It's this bullet point in terms of the, the supplier uh, diversity piece. This slide for the outside partners, the main takeaway here is um, high level leadership of, in a multi-organizational collaboration here. So we have uh, the healthcare uh, uh, anchor network, Abby Massey, who's been really key, and real, as well as a variety of folks from, from Kaiser and Vizient. 
One of the things that we're also proud of with this partnership is this, you know, there's always a conversation in this venues and other venues around synergy and alignment, right? So if we recall back to our own framework of our AHS pillars that we have, uh, one of the pillars is a network. And so for us, this is really awesome because it's, uh, you know, that the network pillar really is, to paraphrase, was uh, building partnerships with other healthcare providers and organizations to really support that total health of the families and community. So then we're, we're excited to really have that connected accurately. Beyond that, uh, with this partnership here, we're actually looking to grow that even further. So that includes then the uh, safety net systems of the County of San Francisco as well as Contra Costa to invite them into this partnership. One thing we'll see is that one person's local vendor is another person's regional vendor. And so we're actually trying to actually have that conversation internally at that level of, hey, when you're going out to RFP, you know, who are, who are you going to go out to RFP for? Well, we're using these folks locally, and, you know, you're welcome to use them or not, but at least invite them out to that process. And so, um, and within that, we'll talk a little bit more about then when you don't get the bid, what happens, and where do you get those folks plugged into. So in addition to growing the, the partnership of our cohort in, in this uh, program, uh, the other aspect is the, um, the framework of the diversity program. So we're in your packets, I believe it was uh, framed as the Total Healthcare Movement, THM. And so what that really, the paraphrase was, again, to use our procurement and our supplier programs to really uh, drive the local economy and support that small business and entrepreneurship. One thing I was... Uh, um, I, I often overlook, but you know, our very own Dave Pistoni, our, our, our AV czar and guru, is a you know a local vendor and a partner of ours as well. So something in those models, being able to drive that in a way that really uh, enhances the work here. <laughs> That's a little shout out for you, Dave. Um, uh, finally, you know, the the overall then pieces with our overall purchasing across these partnerships, Kaiser, uh, AHS, uh, the, eventually the San Francisco Health Network and Contra Costa. How then are we driving that economic impact, you know, in these aligned categories to really help with, you know, the you know, underrepresented communities needing our dollars to really document it as, as Ira was explaining, those downstream dollars. Uh, the last thing I'll say here is, you know, within all this, the I, one thing I would love to, one of the takeaways you walk away from is that AHS is not just a, um, a participant or even a passive participant in this process. We're very excited that we're serving as connectors and conduits and really driving this in a way that um, I had not uh, foreseen or anticipated, but we're really excited to be in. What I mean by that is uh, the total, if you think of the Healthcare Anchor Network, that was our left hand. And the Vizient and this other partnership was our right hand. So we are internally said, hey guys, this is um, alignment. What are we going to do here? How can we tie it together? So we connected the Healthcare Anchor Network with the Vizient folks. And what came out of that was a really exciting tidbit that um, Abby had shared that many of the members of the Healthcare Anchor Network of, of the Inclusive and Local Purchasing Group, they said that it was difficult to move the needle in local sourcing without the help of their GPO. And Vizient, as you recall, is like one of, is, is, is the, the big gorilla on the block. So for us, that's a, I mean, I think that's, again, we're, we're technically on the accomplishment slide. I think that is a, a huge uh, deal for us. So just one of the things I also want to include as a takeaway for us here. And, and I would point out, uh, you know, I actually uh, have uh, been working with the uh, University of California Small Business Diversity Council, which is a collaboration um, chaired by 
uh, you know, the various UC campuses and their um, small biz, uh, small and minority-owned business, you know, diversity effort. Uh, it's a coalition that involves not only you know folks that work with their organization, but you know other local you know vendors as well too. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, sort of going back to you know Baljeet's point about you know what is our role in this, and you know are we just sort of tagging along? Um, you know, I just it, you know one of the meetings I just had a chance you know talk <coughs> generally about our local you know vendor process that we had put together. And you know the person I was talking to was just oh wow that's amazing you know you know we we'd like to come up with something like and I'm like <laughs> thinking to myself okay I didn't think that we were that advanced but you know it you know that we are making some you know progress here as far as it goes and and so I I think that the other piece that sort of comes into this you know this sort of goes to you know Hetty which you know is also now sort of the internal you know connector with you know this as well too because you know the things that you know Jessica talked about that the Health Anchor Network is working on those align you know very closely with what you know is anticipated under Hetty and so this is being a piece of that you know will be a piece of this well too. So I just want to talk uh, very uh, or very quickly you know give you a chance to understand or ask any questions about the things that we said that we would do last year and so in the next couple of slides these were the items that we had identified as you know goals for uh, you know, calendar year 19 and that what we're looking at you know for you know, calendar year 20. So as I you know uh, indicated you know we have basically uh, put something in place that you know will deal with a competitive bidding and we're looking to do the same thing for more general contracting you know over the next calendar year. One of the things we recognize and you know I alluded to this is that we didn't want to place a burden on you know business owners until we really felt that we could provide them resources to do it. So for example, if we were going to ask every business owner or require every business owner to identify three local vendors before they contract with someone, well, they, we ought to have a resource that would help them identify who those would be and, you know, be able to provide that information to them as opposed to, you know, basically, you know, <clears throat> you know, pushing them to be coming up with, you know, three companies that every, you know, request for a contract had those same three vendors on there, you know, or something like that. So we think that we're going to be positioned uh, to do that, you know, for the coming year. So that's why we set that as a calendar year 20 goal. So it shows they're competitive, you know, that is complete. Uh, on the vendor enrollment, I'll ask, you know, Baljeet just to talk a little bit about the uh, vendor registry with Supplier Diversity Gateway. Yeah, so very briefly, I mean, um, if we were to source from Vizient, it's like we can go onto our Vizient uh, portal with our logins right now and just say, I'm looking for X item. And similar to like your Amazon search bar, you can just type in and it'll give you some options of uh, vendors and options. So then the question is, what about the local vendors? Where do we go and type in and search for the local vendors? And this is our answer to that. And so um, the supplier gateway is the name of the actual platform. So what we're, we're aiming to do is to now initiate this, this vendor registration process. So getting, um, you know, getting our vendors to direct it towards this location. They can enter in their information, um, business demographics, tax ID, uh, size of company, uh, et cetera, and then really registering themselves into this uh, system. This system will also then allow us to post opportunities and, and then it will send out blasts to folks uh, who can are more than welcome to participate or decline participation in that particular piece. Uh, and also then, so we can post, uh, vendors can search, and then we can grow. So this, uh, you know, ideally, and our goal is in, uh, in our next, next year's update and report on this in this particular fashion, or even our quarterly updates, that we're able to doc document, identify how it's just growing. And so this is truly something that would be um, a, a true starting in its nascent phase and then grassroots building it up, but I am very confident that we'll be able to um, 
uh, get some vendors lined in and, and registered and giving them a place to go because right now we'll get maybe messages or emails or maybe someone will stop you in the hallway and right now we're that there's not necessarily a definitive answer of what they can do to set themselves up uh, in a position to be successful but this uh, this supplier gateway is is our uh, our goal and I believe it will be a fantastic uh, response to that okay uh the local vendor spend targets, you know, when we uh, presented on this last year, there were some questions in terms of, you know, you know what would be our capability to measure it, you know, how uh, do you set it, and, you know, one of the challenges, you know, we've up is that there's real, there's really no, um, uh, you know, continuity of thought process around what these targets should be, you know, how do you set them, and, you know, is 5%, you know, enough, should it be 10%, you know, what are the metrics sort of, you know, based on, and so, Basically, we're shifting away from this, and you know, we are we're not abandoning, or well, we are abandoning this particular idea. Then we'll move to something else. But you know, what we're looking for is something again that we can use to sort of um, you know direct you know what we are doing as an organization you know to achieve a particular result. And so, for example, one of the things that you know we've started looking at is, and again, this is something that Ira alluded to, is understanding the various buckets of spending: GPO, purchase order, and contracting, so that we could understand which of those is most effective for having a community impact. And so, for example, if you know one might say arguably that purchase order spending is probably more locally focused. You know, that's, you know those are with businesses that we deal with, and you know maybe that's the best vehicle for you know focusing. Effort, but you know that's what we're hoping to learn as we sort of go through the journey here. A uh, couple of other uh, you know things here. We are looking. Uh, we've created the report, you know, just to understand what the spend is in a general sense, and then you know we're looking at creating you know some other reporting tools that we can use over the course of the coming year based upon you know some of these things that we've already put in place. Um, and so, for example, you know, we started doing the implant analysis, and so we want to figure out a cadence for um, creating those reports and, and how those reports will be shared, how those reports will be used. Um, one of the things we'll talk about here in a moment is, and again, this is, you know, as Ira explained the process, uh, the in-plan tool is helpful, but it's something that we have to do. And so, you know, determining how we will integrate that <coughs> in a regular course of work, because somebody, either in the contracting department or somewhere else, is going to have to input the information, do the analysis, and then create it. So, you know, but we do have the capability to, you know, figure out how to create, you know, some dashboards which allow us to sort of track what we're doing with these areas and then, you know, report out on them as well, too. Um, also, we've uh, basically uh, taken the opportunity to revise uh, the mission and goal statement um, to really sort of adopt the focus that we are you know, talking about in terms of expanding it, you know, beyond just the local vendors. And we think that this is consistent, you know, both with a strategic focus, but also the other, you know, things that we're doing as an organization. So, you know, integrating it with, you know, with HETI, making sure it aligns with what we're doing with the Health Anchor Network. A um, couple of things that we've learned, you know, over the uh, course of time, and I'll ask, uh, you know, the other three to sort of, you know, chime in here. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, the idea of moving towards, uh, you know, this idea of uh, community impact, and I think that it, it, it gives us something to really focus on in terms of understanding what, our, what we are doing as an, as an organization and how that makes a difference, you know, 
sort of, you know, from an economic standpoint, but ultimately, you know, how that economic impact may influence things like health equity and you know, those other things. So any other things that you guys have picked up, feel free to go ahead and chime in as well, too. I guess the only thing I would add is, you know, then reinforce the point that, you know, AHS is, you know, surprisingly, you know, we thought that maybe we were behind on this. And, and it's refreshing to see that we're actually not and we're, we're leading the charge on a lot of this. And really, the uh, our data approach, guidelines, templates, even the board template, the board summary document that comes before you with contracts that has the little line that shows local, that, you know, that, that part. We've shared that, and that for folks has been like, oh, that's how your governing body is involved with this conversation. It's not anything even more complex than that. So we're just really excited to share that uh, and, and really be an active part of the conversation. But I'm, I'm, uh, I think folks are very are looking to us for in a leadership piece, and we thought when we started this, we were woefully behind, but we're not. Yeah, and you know, the uh, last point up there, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we have observed over the course of the past years, and in many respects, we feel we've sort of brought this to where we can the way we're doing it now. Um, and we also recognize that this is not where we are looking to end up. This is, you know, sort of a point uh, along the pathway. And, you know, ultimately, and I think, you know, for example, you know, with regard to the, the, the contracting piece in particular, you know, we want, you know, this to ultimately grow into, you know, a, a traditional supplier diversity program, you know, which basically, you know, creates opportunity, you know, uh, you know, with, you know, communities that typically aren't involved in, you know, uh, interactions with an organization of this size. But uh, that's going to require, you know, a, a degree of expertise and, and capability, which is beyond what we're, we have right now. The, the local vendor focus is good for, you know, getting us started on that. But we are going to have to figure out how we do this and how we resources going forward. You know, as I said, there are additional, you know, over the course of, you know, the last year or so, you know, the three or four of us sort of doing what we're doing, you know, there basically there's other things that have to continue to happen if this is going to continue to advance. Mm -hmm. And so we'll have to figure out, okay, how is that done? You know, and just the simple question, like I said, with the implant analysis, is that something that the contract administrators will do? Is there going to be some separate, you know, facility for, you know, incorporating or developing that information analysis, and I think as an organization we have to do that. But I think that, you know, we can continue, we can sustain the things that we've done thus far, which I think will advance us in terms of understanding, okay, what is it, you know, what do we gain from this, you know, how do, how are we performing as a member of the community and how we might leverage that in other uh, respects. Um, and then, like I say, present our, or prepare ourselves for the next step. So. Um, unless you guys have any other comments or observations, uh, these, oh, it's the question slash comment slash feedback slide, so. So um, I think what you've just described is really a comprehensive view and it's very um, telling that we're moving forward with a good supplier diversity program. I want to call out a couple of things. Um, in my past experience, um, Small businesses struggle to even go through the supplier diversity qualifications uh, portal or procedure. Um, I'm a small business. I can tell you sometimes when I see what's required to make myself a minority female-owned business and I look at the paperwork, 
it'd be easier to birth a baby at 60 and give up right there. Right? <laughs> so I will just share with you. I take it that wouldn't be easy. Now. <laughs> you never know. So I want to be very candid and say sometimes large corporations, when they have a supplier diversity program, they also refer those candidates to support programs, whether from the SBC or other mm -hmm. institutions that are mm -hmm. helping them navigate that system. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that, you know, historically we've had relationships with small vendors. Um, I don't know how long ago this was, but maybe four or five years ago, I, I, it was early in my tenure here. I recall when the tower was open, we had a vendor who was uh, a, a, you know, single a mom that had a coffee shop or a coffee little cart and you know it was really sad we had a letter I, I don't know what happened but something happened and so that to me is an example of where I'm sure she was you know just a tiny tiny <coughs> and you know for whatever reason we couldn't accommodate something and she lost her livelihood um, so when we think about these programs, we need to also think about the historical uh, connections that we have with the community and those small businesses that have been part of our history and not forget they, they may need a lot of help coming along to apply to some of these programs that we now have. I'm not saying uh, we can't progress and we can't keep going forward. It's just, wow, some of those small vendors might not know what to do and we should have some resources that we refer them to to help them navigate that system just a thought so a couple thoughts I, I i completely agree and um i heard and maybe i misheard this but some sort of paring down of bodacious goals yeah. and i support that because i think uh we shouldn't pretend that we're something other than we are we're a starving large organization that can barely pay its bills that's reality and so trying to uh, I mean, Kaiser can do this and they ought to they ought to do this full full tilt I mean without any doubt right I mean they, and they should make it part of their corporate uh, commitment to social justice but for us to do this well is really hard. I mean, I, I, I was just sitting here thinking about what's happening in the Bay Area, for example. We are gutting out, we are displacing all sorts of people in the Bay Area. We are now not a place for all sorts of middle and lower middle class people to live. Mm -hmm. And they're moving to outside areas. And so we're going to create a system where an employer goes out to meet those employees and hire those people and we're going to say that they're not as qualified as someone who you know is going to be headquartered here but not not necessarily any more committed to those people so i think you know there are all sorts of in, overlays here and what what's happening socially and economically in our community therefore it's better to i think figure out how to really get at uh, disadvantaged communities disadvantaged individuals uh, that's core to who we are that's a values thing uh, I'm proud most proud to serve on this board for some of the the uh, programs we do have a residency program that the incredible racial equality and justice uh, 
uh, representation within that group. I brought a young man here who was a friend of my, uh, my son's to do a tour because I wanted him to see, well, this is the sort of place you could work. Mm -hmm. A young man of color, and he said, I'm going to apply afterwards. Mm -hmm. I've just made my day. Um, that's the focus we should have. Uh, and then not delude ourselves that we're going to create some sort of algorithm to create uh, a great amount of change within our community. I just don't think it's, you know, that's just my personal perception of it. I think it's out of our, our grasp. We ought to reach for what we can reach for. I think Iron made a good point that, you know, where we are right now is what's feasible, what's doable, and that you're, uh, you know, putting a very fine line on looking at the financial aspect of it, what we can afford to do and what we can. I'm really interested in as in 2020 when you're seeing it, what kind of community impact, like those measures and things, because then we might be able to have a little bit more granular about which communities, sub-communities within our system are really benefiting from this right, and right. Where, where could we be uh, putting, you know, as, as we get more sustainable uh, uh, and uh, in conjunction with other partners, where could we be putting our focus on? So, yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I agree and maybe with slight modification, I think um, it's really commendable that us as a public hospital system are doing this work because you have private corporations that aren't even thinking about this. Um, but I also think it's so mission aligned with what we do that when we're going to spend a dollar on something that we really think about where we're spending that dollar and to the extent that we're spending it here locally and can create opportunity for people who live here, it helps push back against the phenomena you're speaking of uh, where there's not enough uh, jobs uh, for the folks here and that people are getting displaced. Uh, I also think we're really setting a great example um, and being a model. We have, there are other anchors, universities and others in the area that um, are behind what we're doing it sounds like and can really take, you know, the, take our lead and so I think it's really commendable um, and I agree we can't bite off more than we can chew and we have other things that we need to be concerned with so that kind of brings me to my question around um, other partners, so not necessarily these other larger anchor institutions that are doing similar work. I think it's great that we're in co coalition with them. But what about like our chambers or, or other organizations that already are in relationship with these small businesses um, or SCORE or others who, who are providing technical assistance to these small businesses, right? Can we sort of partner with them, the others where, where they can do the heavy lifting, so to speak, and, and that they become sort of our points of contact? Is that something we've explored Go ahead. yeah one of the things for us is as you're you know launching this supplier gateway piece I think that that aspect of how do we get the word out right so I did give you some examples of those anecdotal experiences we're running the folks but what you're describing is truly a comprehensive uh, like kind of invitation you know folks to come out to to participate so those leveraging those partnerships for those community for those partnerships that have already been in place for many years kind of referencing back the history that's in place that's what we want to do in terms of hey, here's something that's out there that you may not know about. Because un unless we make a focused effort to say this exists, you don't, they don't know what they don't know. And, right. and um, it's, you know, if, if we have a diversity portal and no one knows about it, do we really have a diversity mm -hmm. portal, right? So it's <laughs> like, um, actually, I think it's, it's well, your, your point's well taken. Yeah, and the, you know, the, the notion of 
vendor development, if not necessarily spending on vendors, I think has always been something that has been there. And so if we can't, you know, spend money on this vendor, if we can help this vendor to become more competitive so they can grow their business, that is something that we would look at. You know, one thing I would you know, uh, say also, to the point that you were raising it, I think one of the things that I think might be useful out of this, you know, for us to, you know, with respect to some of the things that we've done, is, you know, helping to demonstrate, you know, the value of this organization beyond what happens, you know, within the, you know, 16 to 17 walls, you know, of these facilities. And, you know, I think that, you know, for example, you know, the Alameda County Food Bank, you know, they, um, you know, they are very good at sort of articulating, you know, the impact that they have in terms of, you know, a dollar here, you know, provides, you know, five meals or six meals to, to really sort of make it understood right. that, you know, there's a value add to supporting an organization which, you know, which I think helps us, you know, in the long run is that, you know, people understand that, you know, we do much, you know, as much as we do here, there's something else we get out of it. And I think what we're trying to figure out is, okay, again, how can we leverage that to go along with some of the things we're talking about doing. I did have just one other question. I like what you mentioned about the parking vendor hiring locally, and I'm just wondering if that is something we're actually measuring or asking our vendors if they're hiring folks locally, because that seems like another metric that would help bolster, just like what you're talking about, telling the story. Um, so generally speaking, we don't get into that on our general contracting yet. That you know, in terms of developing how we're going to roll that piece out for next year. In terms of the RFP process, I think there's opportunity for them to identify where their folks would come from in terms of articulating how, how they are as a local vendor. Um, but I don't know if we specifically ask that question or do it. I think it would depend on the nature of what they wish to have included in it. My understanding is each RFP is a, its, its own element, and they create it as they wish to. Um, one thing I would mention, though, is although there is the way of assessing local hiring by just asking, but if you want to verify the element with implant, that's one of the things that um, was useful. There was, I believe, included in your voluminous packet um, a two-page spreadsheet. There was a two-page spreadsheet and it had um, a few examples of recent board contracts that had been run through the implant analysis and I had a little narrative that was highlighted and it looks kind of like this and if you walk through that narrative what this essentially does is their algorithm will tell you for any given contract if you authorize $4.4 million under a contract. It'll tell you roughly how many local FTEs are either supported or created by that money just by that contract vendor. It'll also tell you what fraction of the money that you've authorized to spend with that vendor is actually going to be spent and turned by that vendor on their payroll locally. <coughs> and then it will go on another level out and it'll say, but that vendor's also going to need to have suppliers and vendors supporting them business to business B2B. It'll also tell you what fraction of the money you've allocated to that vendor that they'll then turn spend with business to business. It'll then tell you what those B2B vendors are going to hire or support in the way of local FTEs and their associated payroll. And then lastly, it will then say when you're talking about the contracted vendor, they're going to be, I've got a paycheck. They're going to go and spend that money on a variety of things. 
this will also with implant tell you what fraction of the payroll for the contract vendor is turned around and spent locally and the number of FTEs that is supported by it. So by way of example, you recently approved the Mission Lennon Agreement. Now, that was an agreement where it was $8.3 million. That was the not to exceed amount. According to the analysis done by Implan, that was responsible for either creating or supporting 123 local Alameda County-based FTEs that are needed. Now, it's important here to understand Mission Linen is not based headquartered in Alameda County, but this is why that algorithm is so important because the nature of linen is you don't outsource it to anywhere. It's heavy. It would be horribly, ruinously expensive to outsource. Some things by their nature must be done locally to be economically feasible. Those things are local captured. And so in this case, even though on its face, not local. But now we're expanding this and looking deeper, and you're like, well, actually, there is some benefit being had. And then if you go and apply it further to the business-to-business -business, as well as to the induced local spend, that came out to a total of 148 FTEs that were being supported. And it had a total labor payroll that was going to be 7.2 million. So we spent or authorized 8.3 million in aggregate 7.2 million dollars of that if you want to think of it that way have ultimately worked their way into Alameda County residents' pockets. Great. One thing I also want to add is that to your question so, because most of the contracts that we're referring to are also contracts that happen to fall into the areas that I oversee, support services. So, whether it's mission, or whether it's laundry linen, parking, uh, tonight's biomedical engineering piece. So, what, some of the things are in, in the comparison and analysis of whatever comes before us. We're also looking at, you know, ideally we're presenting to you something that fulfills our fiscal stewardship responsibility. And so, what we're looking at also, where are these savings coming from? Referring back to the parking, it was like, okay, let's line by line. Is this, you know, the one thing that, you know, we spoke about then very candidly was, is this on the backs of the employees who are local, uh, locally live and, and work? And we found that, well, no, it wasn't. It was actually, you know, the, the administrative overhead piece. So we're able to d define that. So for us, that's an incredibly important part of it because many of the folks and the individuals here, uh, uh, our staff love them and we, we love working with them. So we were thrilled that uh, one, you know, observation was that all of the folks from the parking team wanted to stay. And so that for us is kind of how do we then um, uh, look at and compare uh, these things around uh, the local folks and are we going to keep uh, where we're locally sourcing and hiring. Um, also just, you know, while not part, depending on the RFP scope and complexity, one thing that we consistently do and, and uh, I know that we champion with our, uh, our folks that are on the panels is, hey, respondent, please go to the AHS website and please familiarize yourself with our mission and goals, sustainability, population health uh, management, an anchor institution. And so that for them, so they have also worked that into the piece around and um, uh, when we see these presentations, they're coming back and saying, oh, by the way, we happen to notice that you're X, so all of our folks work here. Um, and so that's another way that we're trying to, in addition to the, to the uh, more downstream dollars and pieces that I already described, it's also what we're doing actively up front as well to um, try to bridge the gap from multiple facets. Great. Thank you. I just had to say thank you. I mean, I'm sitting on finance, and we've had these conversations so many times about local, and to see how much this has moved from the local vendor to a community impact, just the framing of it, mm -hmm. and how, you know, uh, I mean, really 
I love reading contracts after I started uh, writing such a good way, but also the kind of context that you all give. So thank you for uh, this amazing work. Mike, thank you. Joe? Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, really thoughtful process. I appreciate you hearing about it. All right, so our uh, CFO, COO, and public affairs reports are written and in the packet. Did we need any discussion on any of those? Well, all right then. Mike Moy, general counsel announcement regarding closed session. Yes, <coughs> excuse me, there are three items, uh, or excuse me, two items for the closed session. Uh, one is a discussion of uh, labor negotiations. Um, <coughs> Excuse me, and then there is a uh, update on uh, certain litigation matters as well, too. All right. Adjourned to closed session. Closed session adjourned at 9:28 p.m. One action item was taken to ratify a labor contract. Item number two. Um, let's do that. Yeah.